Meanwhile, back at the Hall of Justice, our mild-mannered podcasters were bombarded by gamma rays, bitten by radioactive bugs, mutated by toxic waste, irradiated with cosmic rays, born into a world that doesn't Everybody, it is Wednesday, April the 29th, 2015, and you are listening to the Talking Comics Podcast. I am your host, Bobby Shortle, and I am here with Steve Say. Howdy. Mr. Bob Ryer. Hello there. And filling in for Miss Stephanie Cook, we have Miss Mara Wood. What's up? Not too much, Mara. Mara, it has been too long since we have all been on a podcast together. I know. I'm so excited. It's been forever and ever. You've been you've been leading the ship with the misfits, haven't you? Yeah, Stephanie has been like globe trotting and <laughs> super busy and everything, and so Melissa and I are like, we got to do something. <laughs> so we've been we've been pulling together some episodes lately. We had um, Zoe Gullickson came on for Pushing Daisies, and um, Jennifer Ash came on, and we did a show on RPGs, and uh, we just had our book club uh, episode on Attack on Titan. So. Uh, yeah, lots of lots of good stuff over there. Yeah, absolutely. By the way, Mara, what did you think of the live action trailer for Attack on Titan? Oh my gosh, I'm so excited! <laughs> I watched it. I had no idea what I was watching because it was in Japanese, and it was on some sort of like entertainment news show. So the like bubbles and things kept popping up in the corner, and um, it was it was just too cutesy uh, for the content. But I'm I'm thrilled about this this live action movie. Awesome. Did you hear also today? I think they announced a live action death note movie. Really? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. You did not see this. I'm very surprised. I'm surprised you don't have like, I, anime, I like <laughs> anime, antenna. anime antenna, cell phone alerts. Yeah. You know, it's um, actually not a bad idea. <laughs> no, I just have to rely on other people to tell me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they, they signed a director, uh, today. Uh, Shane Black, who had done Iron Man three, mm. and it was supposed to have directed it, but he uh, dropped out. Okay, um, he's making Doc Savage, I think. He's making Doc yeah. Savage. Uh, Adam Wingard is the person. Uh, he did Your Next, that horror movie, uh, and The Guest as well. Um, another creepy kind of horror type mm. movie. So, yeah, mm. um, that's coming as well. Some anime news, anime into live action news. That I'm assuming will be in English. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I actually I watched the um, live action Roroni Kenshin movie, and I mean they subtitle it, mm. so I mean it's not you know too terrible or anything like that. Right. Well, no, subtitles not terrible at all. But <laughs> um, yeah, I watched that that Attack on Titan trailer as well, and it was all in Japanese. And I was like, okay, I don't know what's going on, but I know that that big scary thing that I saw in the first episode <laughs> of the, the only episode of the show I ever watched is in this trailer. So. It looks like it's it's doing what you're supposed to do in an Attack on Titan movie. You should watch more of it. I I know I know I have I I have never, hmm, I, I have never watched a full 
thing that's anime ever in my life. Like a full wow. series? Like a series, or even, I don't think, even a movie. I don't think. Um, I've never watched a full one of You've those. You've never seen a full anime movie? I don't like, think so. Did you watch My Neighbor oh. Totoro or anything like and that? Nope, I've never seen oh. any of those movies. Wow. I've never seen any of those movies. Oh. oh. <laughs> well, thanks to the Misfits, I went nuts on those. The, the Studio Ghibli movies are amazing. Yeah. yeah, so right away I had to buy Kiki's Delivery Service and Totoro. It, it's, and it's never been about, like, I think they're bad. It's just one of those things where it just was never part of any of the circles I, I ran in mm-hmm. when I grew up. Nobody I knew watched anime, so I just never ended up watching anything. I never had that in to watch mm-hmm. stuff. I'm, I've been coming over to your house for this podcast for a number of years now. I'm going to loan you only one at a time to see if you even <laughs> like it at all, but I'm going to loan you Summer Wars and see what your reaction is. Ooh. Okay. Okay. Yeah, Mara knows what's up. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, it's always been something that I've been interested in, and I just never have really dove into it. I had one friend when I worked at Best Buy who was really into it, and he was like, oh, you got to watch this, and you got to watch this, and you got to watch this, and I just never Just did. so many. There's a lot of yeah. stuff. The key, the key to introducing shows or, or books to people is to not be too excited about it. Right. <laughs> like, yeah, Cowboy Bebop, you know, check it out if you want. Mm-hmm. You know, Bounty Hunters in Space. I like that. You know, just, you know, whatever. Let me know. <laughs> Lower the and expectations then, a little. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. So that, you know, I don't know. If someone approaches me and they're, like, overly excited about something, I back away. Like, oh, crazy person. You know, yeah. don't want to get involved in that. Yeah. Um, so if I really like something and I'm trying to push it on one person, I'm like, Eh, death note's okay yeah <laughs> or you go in it. It, it, regardless of what it is anime or not if, if you go to somebody really excited about something and, and they decide to watch it they already go in with like their guard up about it yeah you know like uh, prove <laughs> to me that this is yeah. as good as yeah. can't be what it. you're saying exactly exactly um that's funny i had an into these things and it disappeared for me all in between because when i was a kid the first wave of that stuff was coming here Astro Boy and Gigantor and Tobor the Eighth Man and Kimba the White Lion and whatever, and watched every single one of those. Mm. I could, I won't, but I could probably sing you the theme songs. But <laughs> it was Speed Racer, certainly. You know. Okay, I will say I've watched full episodes of Speed Racer. Okay, before. there you go. <laughs> but I barely remember go Speed them. Speed Racer, this, at this go point because I watched them when I was a kid. But I remember as a kid being like, "This is definitely the weirdest cartoon that I watch." <laughs> Gosh. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, uh, Cowboy Bebop is one of the ones that um, that my friend from Best Buy, he, that was the first one. He's like, oh, if you haven't watched anime before, you should watch Cowboy Bebop. And I was like, okay. And then, yeah. Yeah. He's and right. Then he, he hands you like, you know, like 50 <laughs> s- yeah. sets of discs. And it was like, here you go. Like, oh, okay. 3,000 episodes later, you, know, <laughs> yeah. you give them back. So I want to see the as part of the list of shame sort of things, the big movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, see Akira in, right. in the proper form and those sort of things just to say, yeah, I, I can cross those off my list, but mm-hmm. not happened. Yeah, those are, Akira is one of the ones that's on my list as well that I, I want to watch. Um, yeah, I just have never done it. I watched that first episode of Attack I think I watched the first two episodes of Attack on Titan because uh, I was coming from a trip or something and I had heard all that stuff about it. So I like downloaded a couple of episodes on my iPad and I watched them and I enjoyed them. I, I just... I don't know why I didn't keep watching them. Because um, I think, like, I'm, I'm not the kind of person who doesn't watch foreign movies because they're subtitles, <laughs> but watching something over a season, having to think about having to, like, invest reading in, like, that the, yeah. the whole season, I think that is daunting to me a little bit. And I don't like <laughs> to watch dub stuff because I think it's usually oh, horrible. It? 
<laughs> the Dove some... for Attack on Titan is actually really good. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. I have okay. them on Blu-rays because I watched them, you know, week to week subtitled when they came out. Mm-hmm. And then I decided I, I like to power watch them. Mm-hmm. And like you said, reading subtitles over and over and over again can be kind of straining. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the dub help with, helps with that. So, you know, I went subtitled and then switched over to dub. Oh. Well, Mara, if you say that it's okay to watch the dub, then I'm going to take that as... Yeah. <laughs> it's gospel. Yeah. It's okay if you like dub. It's yeah. okay. Um, I have a friend who wants me to watch this a German film, Berlin Alexanderplatz. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah okay, yeah. It's 18 hours long. <laughs> Wait a minute. How many bathroom breaks do I get? Do I sleep in between? Mm-hmm. And all subtitled. Yeah. I'm going to need glasses by the end. Yeah. But I didn't go in. I, I want to see it, but can we space this out over like a year and a half? <laughs> There was some movie that I, I I wanted to watch. It was a foreign movie. I think it was a horror movie. I don't remember what it was. It might have been High Tension. That might have been what mm-hmm. the movie was. And I got a disc from Netflix when I was still getting discs from Netflix. And I put it in and it was a dub. Oh. And I like <laughs> took it out of the player and like put it back in the <laughs> thing and sent it back. And then went to like Blockbuster or something and like found that they had the one that had yeah. the, the regular language track on it. So I got that. Um, but some dubs are just horrible. And it, may, and it just... It doesn't fit, and so it makes things. It's like you know that, the Bitten Wayne's world. Yes, the whole entire movie. So I can't do it. There, there's one exception I found for whatever this is all worth. There's a Godzilla movie. It's Godzilla versus Sidor. It's also Godzilla versus the Smog Monster. In the American version of this, there's this, this nightclub scene that Godzilla breaks into eventually, which is weird. Where this girl is singing. Wait, he breaks into a nightclub. Well, he breaks the roof open and starts, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and this girl is singing a song, and the way they translate it, save the earth, mm. with like big lava lamp goofy things flying <laughs> around behind her. And it's save the earth. It's the highlight of the movie for those of us who were teenagers when this movie came out. Uh, in the very fancy versions they put out, it's either in Japanese and doesn't say that at all, or it's, it's translated differently, and now it doesn't say save the earth anymore. <laughs> so my, the highlight of my movie... It's completely gone because it's not dubbed right. Well, it is dubbed right, but it's not dubbed right to my standards. The way, the way you want it. I want Save the Earth. So I have a bootleg that I bought at a convention where she sings Save the Earth. So I feel much better. She says, she sings that just before he eats her. Okay. Which is good. Yeah. You know, I mean, yeah. if you're going to do those sort of things, you do them well. One of the things I remember, and it's not a dub thing, uh, let the right one in. Oh. If you watch it in the, th- the when they brought it to Blu ray, the, the yep. magnet releasing changed. The subtitle that changed the translation on the movie, so it's a yep. different translation in the movie theater than is in yes. the, and it changes like some of the context of some of the scenes that are happening, which I remember bothered me when I when I ended up finally mm-hmm. watching it on Blu-ray because I'd seen it in the theater when it when it had come out. But uh, Mara, do you know if the Attack on Titan that's on Netflix is the dubbed or the subtitled version? I think Carolyn Coca actually told me it was uh, subtitled. Okay, all right. Um, I know sometimes if you click on options, you can. See if you can find the dubbed version gotcha. on okay. Hulu and mm-hmm. probably Netflix as well. But I think she was telling me that she watched it subtitled. Gonna have to have to investigate that a, a mm-hmm. little bit and check that out. Um, but yeah, we have uh, plenty of comics to talk about this week. Well, plenty of comic news to talk about this week. Yeah. Uh, uh, actually, it's marping, and it's just probably a good thing because she has a bunch of books that she's excited for. Steve, Bob, and I had a tough time finding our <laughs> our, our, our books to talk about this what? week. What? Yes. Yeah, we had yes. to go. Yeah. We had to go outside of weekly releases to find books that we really wanted to talk about. Um, of course, uh, Kaptara by Chip Zdarsky with art by Kagan McLeod. McLeod, I think it's McLeod. McLeod, McLeod. I'm not sure how you say Con- it. Like Connor McLeod. It's one of those. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, it, um, is our 
our shared book of the week, and we'll be getting to that later. We also have, you know, some some new stuff to talk about. Uh, DC made a, some a few uh, waves uh, this past week uh, with some comic book announcements and with some movie stuff that happened. Um, Marvel had some announcements um, a- as well. Um, but one of the first things I want to talk about actually is not really an annou- isn't really a news announcement. Uh, at C2E2 this week, uh, Scott Snyder had a panel which he basically just did all by himself and just had people asking sure. questions the whole time. Um, and one of the last things he got asked about w- were uh, books that he wanted to write, and he mentioned wanting to write Wonder Woman. Uh, and I'm paraphrasing here because I don't have the quote in front of me, but he said uh, he really wanted to give her shoulders. That's what uh, he said, and show mm-hmm. that she is one of the pillars. And of the of the DC universe, along with Superman and Batman, and really reinforced that. And he said, if he had his choice of subtitle, it'd be Wonder Woman, badass. That's what be, that would be the, the title of the, the book. Um, but we have two humongous Wonder Woman fans, obviously, uh, um, Wonder Woman scholars, really, <laughs> uh, on, on the show with us. Um, and just a, you know, a very hypothetical situation. Mm-hmm. But, uh, Bob, what would you think of Scott Snyder writing Wonder Woman? Well, he said this before. There are some articles yeah. a little while back mm. where he's been of high praise mm. uh, to the Brian Azzarello uh, Cliff Chang run. And look, Scott Snyder is a great, great comic book writer. He writes really fabulous characters. I'm, for me personally, I'd be concerned that it would trend a little dark. And he's, just, he's really great at what he does. And that's all wonderful. Uh, I, a really terrible mixed metaphor or bad analogy would be, I really love Bob Dylan. I really love Frank Sinatra, but I don't want to see Bob Dylan sing Frank Sinatra. <laughs> so, uh, Or the other way around. Right. I, I mean, there are, right, exactly. Well, you know, Sinatra might be able to manage blowing in the wind rather than Dylan singing Summer Wind, if we're going to go that way. Summer Wind. Uh, you, you sing way too good for, for, for Dylan. Uh, look, I think there are a lot of people over at DC that I'd I'd sort of rather see. Uh, I mean, we're not going to get Gail Simone or Greg Rucker or Phil Jimenez back, but I wouldn't mind seeing Amanda Connor take a crack at it. Marguerite Bennett certainly would be excellent choices. Uh, I, we've had dark Wonder Woman for three years. Mm-hmm. I'd real and it continues. It's actually it's worse. It's in the pit. I, I <laughs> it, it's not good for me anyway. <laughs> I, I'd love to see what's going on in Sensation. Any of the people who've written this, one of these Sensation stories, I'd be thrilled with. I don't even know half their names. <laughs> and they're all finding that sweet spot in what the Wonder Woman mythos is. So, love Scott Snyder. Don't know if I'd love him here. Hmm. Mara, what about you? I, I think that he should be involved in Wonder Woman's story to some degree. Ideally, I think he should co-write the first arc. And co-write with a female creator who will then take it from there if mm. that makes sense yeah because um, Snyder has I mean he has a huge fan base and um, Bob's right he's got a, a kind of themes that he plays with and everything kind of being dark and um, a little bit gory and, and very psychological and thrilling and things like that and that's not always Wonder Woman so I think having him involved in it to some degree in the beginning will bring attention to it and then just continuing quality story after that and I think it would be a, a good way to get you know another writer into it kind of like um didn't he do something like that for James Tinian or Tyrion? yeah well I mean he he co-wrote I think the the he was doing plot I believe on uh Talon when James yeah. Tinian first started yeah absolutely so something something like that where um you're having this seasoned you know semi-famous I mean comic book world he's famous but yeah. outside <laughs> 
um, involved in, in this character and just kind of revitalizing. Yeah, I can definitely see that. I mean, I think that obviously he plays very heavily in, into horror and, and his characters uh, kind of live in that milieu and, and he, that leaks into Batman uh, quite a bit. But, um, you know, when he did Superman Un- Unchained, he left a lot of that stuff, you know, behind. I mean, obviously, uh, you know, um, Jim Lee R can only be so idealistic looking. Yeah, that's <laughs> you know, true. It's very, very you know, it, it, has, it has that kind of, for back of a better term, badass look to it regardless. Um, but, you know, he was playing, he very much wrote a story about Clark and about Superman and, and it eschewed a lot of those horror themes and stuff like that. So, you know, I think that, Obviously, he, he has his strength as a writer, and he has the, the, the places he likes to play, but I also feel like he's the kind of writer who likes to push himself, and I don't think he's the kind of writer who wants to end up being pigeonholed into one box for his entire career, you know? So he'll, I think he'll always have those things he loves to do, but I think he's able to, you know, move outside that one thing and do something else. And the one thing about Scott Snyder is that he appreciates characters, and he appreciates who they are, and he... And he, and he is very big on taking chances, but staying true to the base of a character. And I think that, look, I mean, is he the first person I would think of to do um, Wonder Woman? Absolutely not. But I think that it's, I I think I would stop short of saying he would just make it like the other books that that he's written before. Cause I think he's a good enough writer not to do that. Um, Steve, what do you think? Um, it's really, it's a, it's funny. It's a combination between what all of you have said, uh, particularly Mara with the idea of bringing him in at the start and then perhaps passing it on to somebody else as they go along. Um, I think that could work out really well though. If let's say for argument's sake that he was to take over the book or that he's been like kind of positing that he'd like to write it for some time, it kind of reminds me of what he said about Damian Wayne and how he's not, entirely comfortable writing for that character so he would never try uh the idea that he's put it out there if it's in fact more than more than once that he would like to write that character that it makes me think that he has a really good idea probably stocked you know stored up and would like the opportunity to put it out there for people to read um well i don't know if he would be the ideal person to write wonder woman i would certainly read it because I would definitely be interested in, in what he had mm-hmm. to say and do with the character, for sure. Yeah, I mean, and who knows, too? I mean, again, it's all hypothetical, but he's talked about it enough where it feels like it's something more than hypothetical to him. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe it ends up being a miniseries, like Superman Unchained, where it's some nine or ten issue thing that kind of is a is a, a companion book or, or an outside of the, the main series book. But um, I don't know, I, I would like to see one of their top creators writing the book. That, that That's just, that, I think that's mm-hmm. my main hope for it would be that one of the, one of the, one of the big people at the company is the one, one the ones writing the book. Mm. Um, and that's what I would hope. Is anybody even reading Wonder Woman? At I'm all? not. I know Bob's not. I've, I have to say I do flip through it because I need ammunition. Well, you don't buy comes, it. I don't. No, no. Mar, do you? I know that you said in the past that you always buy it just because it's Wonder Woman. Do you? Do you still buy the Wonder Woman from DC? Uh. Is she still there? I think we lost her. Oh no. <laughs> she did not, not like that question. <laughs> yeah. She walked off like Robert Downey in yeah. London. Oh yeah, she, went, she. She. I think. I think she lost. Uh, her internet or something, because uh, she's offline on Skype right now. Um, so we'll have to get her 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 answer to whether or not she still buys <laughs> that Wonder Woman book. 
Uh, See, what I wanted to do, I wanted to buy that first issue by the Finches and then contribute to the huge drop-off. That was my plan. <laughs> so I was part of that 50% who dropped off. Mission accomplished, Bob. Exactly. <laughs> I just, I don't know. I mean, like, when I was asking the question, I was pretty much asking it to, to our listeners as well. Mm-hmm. Like, I would like to know if some people are still collecting it and reading it and enjoying it. And, like, even, like, what's going on with her at this point because I don't know anything like she pops up uh, in books every now and again and then there's sensation but that's not canon stuff Mm -hmm. so I mean I don't know where she's at in Convergence I don't know if it even matters Mm -hmm. well the Convergence issue the Convergence was I I wanted to buy it and put it back Mm -hmm. sadly it was Angels and religion and oh, a little bit the, of the... Oh, the tie-in, the, you mean? Yeah, oh, gotcha. the tie-in. And yeah. it turned into a whole... It was sort of the depowered Wonder Woman from the Denny O'Neill mm-hmm. era. And it was... Okay, just didn't seem like what Diana would do. Mm. She was still in her community trying to do things, but she had definitely pulled back. And power or no power, she's a character that reaches out to everybody. Mm-hmm. And so that that struck me a little off. Mm. The end of the book was a little better, but then it got really gruesome. And of course, we have a whole page of you know voices from beyond. <laughs> it's like, oh, I've seen this. So it's seven times last week. <laughs> so um, Mara's uh, quote, official quote, is my internet crapped out working on getting it back on. So hopefully we'll have her back um, sometime soon. Just like uh, old times. Just like old times. Yeah. So. Uh, the Canadian w- internet works in Arkansas. <laughs> apparently, when she gets back on, we'll get her back on the show. But we're gonna we're gonna move on. Um, yeah. Uh, also, I mean, the thing about Convergence too is that none of the fifty-two characters are in it. So yeah. at this True. point, so I don't know what that's all gonna mean. I don't think they're ever gonna be in it at this point, for all I can tell. So we'll we'll have to see. It's been pretty hard to juggle exactly where in the pre-fifty-two, if I you can use that yes. term, all these characters exactly are. Yeah. Yeah, I think that, you know, um, and uh, one of uh, Justin Townsend, who's backup stories and everything like that, and talking games, he talks about that on his show a bunch with, with Rob, and, and, and the fact that, like, um, there is, the, the, the distinctions between the worlds are sometimes very weird, right? Mm-hmm. Because, like, one is, like, they're, they're, they're all take place in different kind of sections of the DC universe, but not all of those sections are as big as pre-crisis on infinite earths to post-crisis on infinite right. earths. sometimes it's like post zero hour you know pre-zero hour and then post zero hour and it's those differences are very small they're not they're not huge and and some of the the different stories don't feel so different and and so i think that it becomes difficult to tell which hmm? batmans and which characters and what does this mean and um you know, the main book itself is primarily a, a really an Earth 2 story. It's That's really, what I heard from someone. Yeah. They? yeah. It's really the Earth 2 characters because their planet is basically gone in, in the, right now. And so they, they're kind of in this world and they don't have a city to defend or anything like that. So they're kind of free agents. Um, and you know, Convergence, I don't think, is on anybody's list this week. So talk about it very quickly. Like, you know, it's, it's, one, it's a very weird thing because it's not something that has really grabbed me. Um, because it hasn't felt very vital because our main characters right aren't involved in it and it's that's a good thing and a bad thing because and it's a good way because it's not interrupting these stories that we're reading um, but those books are kind of on to, on break anyway because of the move so it's it, it's a weird thing to not have them involved in what's happening here um, and 
you know, I don't know it, it how this stuff gets planned out and how if this was originally just an Earth Two event story that they were working on that they just they figured this is perfect for when we're gone because we can just have this in, in place. Yeah. Who knows? But it has felt um, not very vital to 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 the universe and ha- has felt very thin you know as as far as story goes this issue had more story than the other ones have had had some pretty big events that if you read earth 2 i think will reverberate with you but um as i like as like the primary dc event i feel like it's going to leave people who are just reading it to think they're reading the next forever evil or something feeling a little bit odd and off from that stuff it's more a continuation of world's end or whatever that that yeah that's that's exactly what it is yeah absolutely um and it's 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 a weird thing for it to be the main event of the t- series. I think we have Mara back though. Ooh. Yeah, sorry. It's all right. <laughs> um, we were we were asking. We I asked you a question, and that's when you were gone. Do you still read the uh, David Finch, Meredith Finch, Wonder Woman book, Mara? <laughs> that's yes. the reaction we expected. Yes. Anyway. <laughs> uh, oh man! Okay, let me tell you why. Let me tell you why. Um, I I have okay. I have like this deep love for. Wonder Woman and this it's like besides sensation, which I, I do the digital for, there's really no other place where I feel like I could get her. And I know it goes against everything comics stand for to buy something month to month that you don't like. Um, but I have to know why I don't like it. I have to know. <laughs> <laughs> I have to I have to read it each month and then feel justified in my my anger. If that makes sense. Well, you're you're an academic, so you're you're I, approaching it from that vein. I love it. Approaching it from very scholarly. You yeah. Know, <laughs> I feel like a hypocrite because I'm like, am no. I hate reading this? Am I hate reading this? No, you're scholarly hate reading this, and that's a whole different <laughs> ballgame entirely. Yeah. Um, well, it, but I mean, you said it is it is an issue, right? Because if people buy it just because they want the character. It doesn't send the appropriate message oh. to DC saying, right. like, no matter what you do, it's still going to have this many sales. You know, it's still going to have Mara Wood out there, exactly. <laughs> so she can hate read it. The Mara yeah. Woods of the world. Hey, Mara, I love it. Can I post an academic question towards you about this whole subject? Yes. Okay. Uh, before the new Fifty Two, Wonder Woman was selling thirty some odd thousand copies. Uh-huh. And it went up and then down again as the new 52 continued. And we've gone through some change over an audience. And I would venture to guess that the, whatever it is, 29,000 people who are now reading Wonder Woman are not the same 29,000 who were reading before. What would you think? I, I, I would have to agree with you. And I think because the people I've talked to who really like the new 52 Azarello run that's their only introduction to Wonder Woman outside of like okay. the Justice League. So they they are jumping in with New 52 as they should, but they they love it and they love the story, but they don't have anything else to compare it to other than, you know, her part in um, like a group book. Gotcha. That's my understanding of it. And, you know, unless someone out there is like, well, I've read every Wonder Woman story ever or, you know, a vast wow. majority of it. And I like the Azarella run the best. I haven't met that person yet. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. But the thing is, like, I don't even think the, the same audience for the Azarella run is the same audience for, for the, the Finch, Finch run. The Finch yeah. stuff. No, it can't be. Except for Marwood. Except for Marwood. Count one mark on the board. Right? Who really wasn't the audience for either. So. 
Well, more power to you, kiddo. I'm <laughs> I dropped off long ago. You know, I almost I almost picked up Superman Wonder Woman for the same reason. Hmm. And I was like, you know, what are you doing? <laughs> I gotta tell you, Mark, that's probably the better book of the two. I'm gonna probably I'm gonna probably guess. That's You're probably, the probably book of the right. Two. I think uh, you know, when it was Azarello and and um and that storyline, it was probably, you know, eh, whatever, but now gosh. That's such a <laughs> Yeah. She has a teddy bear though. <laughs> well, let's let's not let's on. let go there. Let's go. Let's and go. Let's be fair. Like, Cider, we need you. Yes, there we. I'll see. I'll agree to that. As certainly an improvement, no matter what he does, it's an improvement. <laughs> I got to tell you. I mean, I'm not sure how it's going to be, and I know that the representation hasn't been fantastic in the in the beginning of the New Fifty Two. But what we've seen the last couple issues in Justice League from Wonder Woman has been pretty great, and she's front and center on the cover. Speaking of someone who should be writing, Jeff Johns, she yeah. maybe <laughs> should be writing Wonder Woman. Wouldn't be so bad. Yeah, I don't know. Like he hasn't he hasn't nailed her completely yet in the Justice League book. I feel like she's bit he's been a little bit off with her with her. But I feel like these last couple issues, I, I feel like he's done a really good job, and and she seems to be taking like f- lead in, mm-hmm. in in this dark side war stuff. So. I'm excited to see that the prelude to that comes out this week. So I'm very excited to oh, see. They have to pick that up. Um, it's a great cover too, Jason, book cover um, of, of the team. And uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing where that goes. DC has a big week this week. They have that. They have the end of Endgame um, and Multiversity. The last Multiversity oh. comes out this week as well. So big week for them. Very big week. Um, but we'll talk about books that are coming out this week a little bit later in this show. Yeah. We should probably talk about some comic books that are that came out last week or that no. we read last week. Well, <laughs> well. Uh, we're going to put three minutes on the clock, and we're going to do a lightning round. And I believe Bob is going to go first this time. Oh, boy. All right, Bob, <laughs> you have three minutes, and go. Well, it's really great we have Mara on tonight, because my first book is a recommendation from her fellow misfit, Melissa Megan. And it's from two years ago, and it's been sitting on my shelf, and it's Moon Girl from Red 5, and it's by Johnny Zito and Tony Trov with art by Raza. I'm not sure who Raza is, but all I know is the art is absolutely wonderful paintings all through here. Moon Girl is a character from EC Comics back in the 40s who ran like six issues and whose book eventually turned into, you know, weird fantasy. Uh, We'll go into that some other time. But she's actually the princess of a foreign land powered by a moonstone to make her invincible. And this book is still set in the 40s and 50s. It goes back and forth in time. It is modern, but still retro at at, at once. Uh, It's a really interesting take on a a very forgotten heroine. Uh, And her back history is still all here. And it doesn't defile what came before. And this is how you do this sort of character. It's all there, but modern. So those of us who might have even known who she is. And those who don't have a story we can all embrace as our own. And with gorgeous art and a great story, interesting characters, how how can you not love a character called Satana? (laughs) Obviously, she's not a good person. No. See, if you name your kid that, right away, you've got trouble. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking. You know, hey, little axe murderer. (laughs) Anyway, so... so check out Moon Girl's lovely trade paperback. It has all the variant covers, script stuff, fake interviews with Mike Wallace, and just it's just a great thing. And so thank you, Melissa, for making me buy this. She harped on it, and I bought it, and I finally read it and absolutely loved it. Since I didn't buy anything new this week, the other thing I want to talk about is Osborne, Evil Incarcerated from 2010, which is the first pairing of Kelly Sue DeConnick and Emma Rios, now, this came out of the siege and dark rain sort of stuff, and Norman Osborn is locked away in some super-secret prison under the, under the ocean. 
And we've got a Daily Bugle reporter who decides that, well, she's... Her expose that didn't come out caused all these bad events to happen. She wants a way in, and other people want to let Norman out. There's a goblin cult. He's in a place with thousands of supervillains, and they bust him out. And so we get this great action comic book thing. A lot of no superheroes, none to be seen anywhere, no supervillains either, unless you want to count June Covington, Toxie Doxy, who's hanging around. We get a lovely political message about rendition and the american criminal justice system all layered through this wonderful psychological study of norman osborne who i had frankly grown pretty sick of over the the couple of years around here wherever something showed up bad norman did it now he has motivation humor he's bright he's the brightest guy in this book and you're very afraid all right Bob, that was that was the first time we've ever, I think, gotten the buzzer in the middle of uh, talking. Yes. <laughs> and I only did two books. It's the only did two books. That's true. That's very, very true. Um, yeah, I, I read some of that Osborne thing the first time we talked to Kelly Sue, right mm-hmm. before we talked to her that first time, um, when I was like reading up on who she was, and there wasn't very much to read right. at that point. So it was one of the things I read. Um, and it was very, very good. So yeah. So cool. it's out in trade paperback. You can get the whole thing for like $16 if you're interested. And it is great. There's one issue by Becky Cloonan. Oh, cool. There's also a Warren Ellis story where it's an interview with June Covington in prison. Oh, nice. Which is pretty scary stuff. <laughs> awesome. So I didn't get to talk about Super Friends. Next time. Next time. Next time on Talking Comic. <laughs> the uh, very prescient, very, um, very hot take on Super Friends. Yes. That we've all been waiting for. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, Steve, are you ready? Yeah. You've got three minutes, sir, and time starts now. All right, so uh, last week we talked about Bloodshot Reborn number one and uh, found that I really, really enjoyed it. And later on, I believe the next day, I walked into a comic shop and I found the first trade, volume one, of the death-defying Dr. Mirage from Valiant. Mm. So only nine ninety nine. I picked it up. And it's written by Jen Van Meter, who actually happens to be, I think, Greg Rucka's wife, mm-hmm. that is if correct. I'm not mistaken, mm-hmm. um, with art by Roberto De La Torre and col- uh, colors by David Barron. If you have not read uh, Dr. Mirage, Bobby, I believe, talked about it a couple months back. Yeah, correct? I talked about the first mm-hmm. issue, yes. Okay, so for those of you that don't remember or didn't hear, uh, the book is about a woman named Shen who is an exceptionally skilled mystic, and she's lost her husband. So, and in the process, has kind of become aloof and and depressed, and she's just kind of making her way through the day, uh, posing as like a television medium, and she pays her bills by conjuring up spirits of the dead and kind of speaking to their loved ones and providing comfort and closure uh, to the bereaved. So in the process of doing this and passing the days, she's offered a contract by a military contractor named Linton March, and he she basically like begrudgingly uh, accepts the contract and enters into this uh, supernatural world of the undead, this, this afterlife. Uh, in search of answers to both March's dilemma uh, as well as a few of her own. So that's basically the concept. And, I mean, I didn't know what to expect going into this. I didn't read number one. I didn't read anything. Um, I was definitely not mentally prepared for how uh, dense and involved this was going to be as far as, like, the characters and the world and, like, all of the lore 
that comes with it. It's really, really rich in, in content and world building and all of that stuff. Um, there's also a, like a, a very much a, a love story that unfurls throughout uh, the trade of Shen and her kind of going into this afterlife and while she's there uh, doing the stuff for March, but also kind of searching for somebody that she lost um, before the start of the book. Uh, the art for it is really dark and really creepy. It's lots of like hellscapes and creatures and magic on every page. Um, like I said, the story becomes pretty complex at times, but I think that it only adds to the world in which this book takes place as you go along. And by the time you reach the conclusion, like you're just ready for more. Um, the series totally has the potential to go on, and I really, really hope that it does. Uh, so yeah, it's pretty much Death Defying Dr. Mirage, Volume 1, from Valiant, uh, by Jen Van Meter, and art by Roberto De La Torre. That was exactly Perfect. three minutes. Yeah, I told you. I said I could talk for three minutes about this book. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I haven't, I haven't read past the first issue yet. Uh, I only read that first issue, but I really enjoyed it, and yeah. I do definitely want to check out uh, the, the full series. I, I thought that the artist could be a great artist for um, Doctor Strange. Ooh, oh, absolutely. Definitely. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there are every now and again, you'll run into a panel where it's a little bit difficult to see what's going on. Um, there's like lots of magic and fight sequences. So like you're in a world where things become distorted just by the very nature of where you are. So there are certain panels that you're just going to have to kind of accept visually that things are going to be really off kilter and weird. Um, you're in this place where strange things happen and reality kind of bends to the magic being used so um really really creative though and i mean i was seriously impressed by just how fleshed out the world is like it's got all of these different rules and all these different rituals and there's like even characters that you meet for like a short period of time and there'll be a conversation that leads you to believe that they'll be back and i haven't seen that character yet so i'm guessing they'll be used for other stories and it's like not just a character, but a character that you kind of wanted to get to know more. So I'm really hoping um, this apparently did really, really well uh, for Valiant. And I'm hoping for another for an announcement of another series. Cool. Is the first trade sort of a complete storyline with threads that reach outward? Oh, it's absolutely complete for sure. Right. Um, it even comes with this is amazingly packed with with goodies. It's even got uh, a Shadow Man issue in the back. It's got all of the different covers. It's got the art process, the writing process, um, mm. like all of the, um, I think a whole issue is laid out for you uh, script wise. There's a giant map in the back of the afterlife. There's a whole showcase of all of Valiant's other current series, um, all for $9.99. It's really, and it's five issues uh, packed into the trade for the first arc. Hmm. I sense a free comic book day sale in my direction <laughs> on that one. It's awesome, Bob. I think you would actually really like it. Well, it's, I love um, the first issue when Bobby brought yeah, it up and yeah. j just loved it. So I w I've been trade waiting, and now it's here. I loved the, um, I mean, I, I, the love story that goes on in it. You really, you really want to see these two people together again, and watching, like watching Shen and where she is and what she's going through, just in the hopes of seeing this person again is really compelling and uh, and makes for some some really good stuff. Oh, thanks for that recommendation, Steve. Yeah. Awesome. awesome. That's why I'm here, Bob. There you go. <laughs> All right, Mara, you ready? Yes. All right, you have three minutes, Mara. 
and okay. go. Okay, so first I want to bring up Lazarus number 16 by Greg Rucka and Michael Lark from Image Comics. And this is the first issue in the new arc following the events of the Conclave. Um, it features Sister Bernard, and we last saw her in the second arc where she was helping the Waste. Um, she's a nun and a physician. And part of her job is to travel the lands and look for talented individuals who could uh, one day benefit the Carlisle family that she serves. So um, right now, Hawk and Carlisle are at war because of the last issue of the third arc, which was amazing. Um, and the story is presented through her thoughts as this person who's outside of the family and then her journal entries. And she is talking about Hawk and who he is to the citizens in his territory. Um, I do want to say that there's a lot of um, issues of morality and religion in it, as well as um, Sister Bernard may become a patient zero for something terrible. Next up is Manifest Destiny number 14 by Chris Dingus and Matthew Roberts from Image. And I love this comic. I <laughs> It's like this weird history fantasy um, story, and it's like the grossest and most fascinating comic I read each month. Um, so last, let's see, in this issue, they meet more terrible creatures that cause more harm. Um, Clark, his um, treatment of Psycho Joea starts coming to the surface, um, and then they're dealing with a possible mutiny, which Lewis decides fisticuffs is the best way to handle um, soldiers who are threatening to leave. And then Velvet Number 10. <gasps> yeah. By Ed Brubaker and Steve Epstein. <laughs> this is the final um, part five of the Secret Lives of Dead Men arc, which is their second arc. Um, so there's a train escape. There's some hand-to-hand -hand combat. There's Velvet trying to strangle a dog without killing it. <laughs> um, so, like, my favorite thing about this comic is that in every issue, in every panel in the issue, she looks pissed off. She's just like, I have to deal with this again. Everyone is incompetent. I can't believe I'm, I'm, you know, out here having to do all of this work. And it's amazing. Um, you get a lot of mileage out of each issue because you have to go back and reread it over and over mm -hmm. again. Um, and it it really benefits from trade waiting because of the way the story flows. But I'm pretty impatient when it comes to that kind of stuff. So I read it month to month and then I read it all over again. Um, so next month, I believe the second volume comes out oh yes I, yes i think so um it's great wonderful go read it um all new x-men number 40 which it, it, do we do spoilers here no i mean it's kind of big news what just oh came out. yeah the news of it yeah, yeah you can talk yeah. about that that was published everywhere so that's fine yeah, yeah that's what i figured um yeah. so gene gray pretty much outs bobby to him like you know you're gay he's like no i'm not she goes yeah you are um, so it's kind of a weird situation in this issue um, because it's kind of odd having your friend who reads your mind tell you what you're into. <laughs> I, <laughs> I mean, Bobby's just like, well, maybe I'm not, maybe. And she goes, no, you totally are. Um, and it kind of goes into this whole, you know, would he, would he still feel like he's straight if he stayed in the 60s? Versus, you know, coming to today where we have a different kind of mindset towards that. And, you know, it's just kind of interesting. Um, I'm, I'm intrigued about how it's going to play out with the mutant metaphor going along. Um, 
I think that the way that Jean handles it is kind of problematic. Um, but then again, she's also a teenager with mind powers. And I think it's supposed to be presented as problematic. Like it's not a perfect way to address this particular um, issue. And that is your time, mm-hmm. Mara. Yeah. Perfectly done. <laughs> Thank you. Um, awesome. Awesome. Great job. It's your first one you've done in a very long time. I know. So. I had to warm up. <laughs> like I wrote everything down, all the points I needed to make. That is m- more prepared than I am. So <laughs> congratulations on that. Um. Yeah, the velvet thing. I am trade waiting, but so impatiently you can't believe it. I yeah. look at it in the store and it's I want to pick it up. It's like, no, they read so wonderfully together. That and Lazarus are, are two series that um, really just benefit from trade waiting. But like I said, I get too impatient and I end up reading issues multiple times and then I read the arc a couple times and then the trade and then mm-hmm. I just I just really excited. So I, I think that's how you're supposed to read comic books. Um, <laughs> but sometimes <laughs> you pick up so many each week that you forget to to go back and enjoy it more than once. Yeah, I, I love the extra stuff you get in each issue too, the, the lovely little articles at the back. And so I'm... Oh, I, 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 it's hard to make it's that just, decision. It's hard. It's just really hard. You can't decide which way you want to go, and then you end up with both. So you spend mm-hmm. twice as much money. <laughs> but at least it's not a good product. So that's right. not the worst thing, <laughs> I guess. Um, all right. So my turn here. Let me get ready here. Three minutes and go. Uh, Convergence, the new Teen Titans, number one. This is Marv Wolfman <gasps> and Nicholas Scott uh, on, on art duties. And... It was actually the only Convergence tie-in I bought this week. Um, I was interested in others, but uh, just the repetitiveness of that one, those couple pages that happens in every one kind of turned me off to a lot of them because I just I, I, I just was tired of reading it over and over again. But uh, I couldn't pass up Marv Wolfman writing New Teen Titans. And, you know, um, we, we've got the, 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 the usual cast minus... Um, I was disappointed. No Kid Flash in in this, obviously, uh, but we've got Cyborg in the shorts, uh, <laughs> which is very ridiculous. We got Nightwing in his circus uniform. You know, we've got Starfire, um, we've got Wonder Girl, we've got ev- everything happening here, and um, uh, my one of my personal favorite characters, uh, Beast Boy, Garfield Logan, um, getting a lot of play here. You know, it falls prey to the same thing as uh, as the other tie-ins that fall into with the battle stuff, but. It was really nice to have these characters written this way as a big Teen Titans fan. So um, I'll definitely get the second issue just to, to see how it all wraps up. Uh, Ninjak number two from Valiant Comics. Uh, loved, loved, loved the first issue. And I also really, really liked the second issue. Um, a lot of fun, some great action sequences. Uh, continues the beautiful art of the book, both from Clayman and Butch Geis. Um, really interesting story. And it's just a, a really, really fun character to read um and uh invisible republic number two uh gabriel hardman uh corinna bechko and uh jordan boyd and again another another series where i I really really loved the first issue and very much enjoyed the second issue as well and but from both invisible republic and ninjack i i realized something which is that um why a certain series i feel like i i I finally pinpointed why certain series I like to trade weight on more than others, because I feel like when these like dynamite first issues come out, the second issue is almost to me uniformly a disappointment and not because of the quality being down, but just because the first issue gets to be so jam packed and introduced to this world and be so novel. And then second issue's job to kind of not 
not you know give you the cap on that, but to kind of take you to the next mm. phase of the story. And and it, just in, in its function, it tends to have a less interesting structure because it's not starting something and it's not finishing something. So I feel like stories like this will always read better in trade because you can just it's just another part of the story. It's like reading a chapter in a book, and it doesn't have the same pressure on it as being this self-contained individual thing. Um, but both series are still really, really enjoyable and great, and, and I, I, I have a lot of fun reading both of them. Um, and I also I want to talk about this, but I'm, I'm out of time. Um, I read the uh, the Star Wars uh, book, the the one that ties in with the uh, the Rebel show canon. <gasps> Conan? New Dawn? Uh, no, Kanan. <laughs> Sorry, I thought you read the novel. I was like, are we no. going to talk about that now? No, 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 no the comic. Uh, Kanan, the last uh, Padawan. Padawan. And I actually have not read, uh, I mean, I read, I've not seen any of Star Wars Rebels. Um, That's a shame. It's a, I definitely <laughs> a want. damn shame. The first season is still going on or it's over? It's over. Okay, so I can now I can, I can binge watch the whole thing now. Yes. Uh, but uh, just to talk about it very quickly, because I want to get kind of Mara's take on it as someone who's obviously huge in the star wars um you know i have i've been sampling all the star wars comics that come out and um uh, part of my issue with reading the ones that are kind of in the era in which they're writing the books now which is that kind of between new hope and empire strikes back timing is that those stories don't hold a lot of interest for me because i feel like they're almost like mini prequels in in ways because i just the characters that are involved in them, I know what happens to them, right? I know what, I know what their eventual eventuality is going to be. I know they survive these dangerous situations. I know that um, they're going to get to X, Y, and Z. And the stuff that feels out of place to me feels extra out of place to me, like Luke and Vader running into each other before Empire. Oh, feels weird to me, right? So, and not that the books, the books have been very good, but they just have not held sway to me. So I figured. Let me check out something that is in the Star Wars universe, um, that is in an era that I'm that is not something I know about, not something with characters that I'm, you know, especially familiar with. And let me check it out. And so I read the first issue, and I thought it was good. Like I enjoyed it. I liked the main characters. I, I liked seeing a Jedi Padawan relationship that wasn't, um, you know, the the two that we've only seen before which I, I thought was really engaging. And I, I liked the art and I liked the battle scenes. Uh, Greg Wiseman, who I, I produces the show, has done he did Gargoyles and Young Justice and Spectacular Spider-Man, a, a very, very well-regarded um, you know, animation uh, creator. Uh, and Pepe Larraz is the, is the artist, which is a fantastic name. Um, <laughs> I, I enjoyed it. And it ends you know, right around the time of the big change during the Clone Wars where everything goes wrong. Uh, but Mara, as someone I so I haven't seen Rebels. I don't have any knowledge of it. As someone who has knowledge of this character and that show, uh, what do you think of this book? I love it. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, so I I'm actually um, on my blog. I started a column last month on um, the Star Wars comics. So like all the comics, and I think I might branch out to the books. I don't know, guys. It's a lot. <laughs> um, but. This was the one comic that I was kind of like, maybe, I don't know. Um, because I think, mean, like, it, it came in after Star Wars had a couple issues out, after Darth Vader, after Princess Leia. So I was like, well, those are so good. Something has to be a dud. Something has to come out that, you know, isn't as awesome as the others. But no, Kanan, The Last Padawan, is just as amazing as the other Star Wars books. 
which now makes me nervous about the new Lando comic that's coming. Because <laughs> um, now I'm worried about Lando. <laughs> um, <laughs> but you're right. It's it's really we don't see a whole lot of of material out there bridging the Clone Wars to um, the Empire mm-hmm. about all that lost time and you know it's like 19 years. It's a lot of of um, stories that can be explored, and I think that's what they're trying to do with the new Rogue One movie and Star Wars Rebels, which is five years before A New Hope um, and New Dawn Star Wars novel that came out, um, I believe, last year and then had the paperback this month. Um, tells about that story as well as um, Lords of the Sith, which goes in between as well. But this particular comic is so, I mean, it's heartbreaking. It, I mean, it, it's very emotional and... Um, I'm really, I'm really nervous about the next issue. <laughs> I really am. I, I, I haven't read the second issue yet. I know there's two out, right? It's, uh, second issue should be coming out soon. Oh, the I, first issue on, came out in April. Oh, okay, so when I was in Comixology, they had a listing for it. And I guess maybe you can pre-order it. I guess that's probably why it was sometimes, there. Sometimes they have like subscriptions and things like that. Okay. Uh, now so, we're like, no, it didn't come out, did it? Let <laughs> 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 me go to the internet. You got very nervous. <laughs> uh, yeah, the end, I, I liked kind of seeing it through the eyes of, of those characters. And uh, as much as I, I don't really like uh, the prequel films, I, I find the dynamic of the clone troopers to the Jedi uh, kind of fascinating because they, you know, they're, they, they seem to respect them. They seem to like working with them. But then there's this other thing where they have orders to just murder them <laughs> at some point. So I, I think it's a fascinating relationship between between the, those two. Um, you mentioned the Lando comic. I don't think we talked about that. I don't know if, if it. I think it. I don't know if it happened this week in, in the podcast. But they announced a Lando comic uh, written by Charles Soule with art by Alex Maleev. Wow, uh, coming yeah. out, uh, which should be pretty cool. He's uh, so smooth. It's, I'm so excited. <laughs> if, he if he doesn't bet a lady in every issue, then I'm then I'm disappointed. <laughs> God, <laughs> he's Billy D. Billy D. Williams. I love um, how Mara has enough enthusiasm for Star Wars for like a thousand people. <laughs> I never have to worry about how I feel about it because there's Mara to make up for me. <laughs> I'm just doing my job, guys. Yeah. Um, second issue of Canon comes out May 6th. Uh, okay. So, so next week. Close. Yeah. Next week. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> awesome. Just gonna cry. Um, and Marvel has a bunch of Star Wars stuff that they're, they're going to be putting out. Um, they have that one that kind of uh, bridges to the the movie, The Force Awakens. They have a series of books coming out as well. Greg Rucka is writing mm-hmm. some like prose. I think wow. he's writing a Han Solo. Yes. Book. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. I know, right? <laughs> Mara is excited. If you cannot tell <laughs> about these things. Um, Marvel also announced uh, a few other things um, at C2E2 uh, this weekend. We'll get to that before we dive into our, our, our books of the week here. I got to get I to put away my Star Wars comic and go back to the news section here um, while, uh, while IGN reloads while I look for the story. Uh, so uh, seven new books, a lot of them one-shots or you know miniseries that have to do with uh, Secret Wars. But uh, Last Day's Ant-Man um, will be coming out. Um, and if my iPad wouldn't freeze, there we go. Uh, and this says, um, following July's Ant-Man annual number one, the Ant-Man last days one shot will hit stores in August. Like the various other last days, brand of comics, this issue will explore how Scott Lang reacts to the impending end of the world. 
Marvel teases that an old villain will return in this issue, and the residents of Miami will respond to the end of the world with a huge dance party. So there you go on well, that one. Sure. Um, we have Secret Wars, Secret Love, number one. <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, if you missed the days when romance comics were a major part of Marvel and DC's output, the Secret Wars tie-in is for you. Secret Love is a one-shot anthology featuring various Marvel heroes taking a break from the chaos of Battleworld to deal with their romantic woes. One of the stories will feature Ms. Marvel and the new Ghost Rider, Robbie Reyes, while others will focus on the love triangle between Typhoid Mary, Daredevil, and Karen Page. Um, Jeremy Whitley. Uh, ah, is, is, is doing one of the, wow. the stories in there. Way to go, Jeremy. Uh, congratulations to him. Um, he announced exclusively his uh, new book on our site this week, so check out oh. that story um, as well. Uh, Raven was such a great character when we did yeah. one of our first shared books of the week. That was mine because I just loved her. So yeah. a whole series on her. It'd be Super. great. Raven the pi- uh, Raven. Pirate. Raven Pirate, Pirate Queen. Pirate Can Queen. I plug something real quick? Of sure. course, Mark. We're having Princeless Month on Talking Comics we for are. May. So I just wanted to throw that out there while we're talking about it. You can absolutely plug the website that this podcast is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no comments to the negative around here. That's very much allowed. Yeah. Um, uh, we also have, uh, they announced a Miracle Man by Gaiman in Buckingham, which is going to they're going to reprint the stuff that already is there and then finish off that series with wow. never-before-released material. So we won't ever see Sandman, I'm thinking. Uh, probably not. <laughs> never, <laughs> ever, ever. Um, we have the Shield 50th anniversary specials that are coming out, uh, um, oh. which include variant covers and a new omnibus hardcover, which uh, is Steranko and Kirby. And, and Kirby. Kirby started, and then he was doing layouts for Steranko until they finally said, "Oh, you're good enough, like kid. Go, <laughs> go for it." And reimagine how comics could be. Uh, it's just amazing stuff. <laughs> uh, they also announced that this uh, five-issue weekly miniseries that will explore different eras and characters from S.H.I.E.L.D. history. Uh, the issues will include Fury, written by David Walker, Agent May, written by Jody Hauser, Mockingbird, written by Chelsea Kane, Quake, written by uh, Matt Rosenberg and Patrick uh, Kindlin, and Agent Carter, written by Catherine Imonen. Sold. Nice. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, uh, a lot of focus, obviously, on characters that appeared on the TV show, Agent May, yeah. who... Hasn't really been in the comics much at all until now. Um, you know, obviously invented by the TV show, created by the TV show. Mockingbird, who is huge on the show yeah. right now. Um, obviously, Agent Carter, who is very big right now. Um, and uh, Quake, who is obviously very big right now on that show as well. So uh, we got some big stuff uh, coming there. But very cool. I think it's cool they're doing kind of like this one issue thing where they're addressing each character. Um it's been very nice to see two things with S.H.I.E.L.D. going on. A, people knowing who Mockingbird is is very cool. And B, um, finally, um, uh, oh my God, her name just flew out of my... Adrian Palicki. Yes. Uh, getting to show how actually awesome she is to people in like this community. Uh, <laughs> because she is objectively awesome and I'm glad that she's kicking ass and doing awesome yeah. stuff on that show. It wasn't her fault what happened with the David E. Kelly Wonder no. Woman pilot. Not at all. I talked about this on Twitter but it's like one of those things where because I loved Friday Night Lights every actor who was on that show whenever they're in anything like I want to give it a chance because they're because they're in it. Um, like when that or X-Men Origins movie was coming out, the Wolverine yeah. movie, he was played Gambit, uh, not, not him but uh, one of the guys from the yeah. show guy played Tim Riggins um, and he ended up being John Carter I was like, come on, give him a chance. He's so good. <laughs> you know, so any of those actors, I just I just kind of gravitate towards at some point. Um, we're getting a Drax ongoing series uh, written by CM Punk, who wrote, wow. former wrestler, who wrote a Thor story. We have no announced artist yet for that book. Um, and that is going to be an ongoing. So every single member of the Guardians of the Galaxy has an ongoing series. If you could have told me that three years ago. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> I would not have believed you. Uh, some other Secret Wars stuff. Howard the Human, number one, written by Scotty Young and, and art by Jim M- Mafood. Um, uh, so it, it, this IGN story says, during the course of Steve Gerber's classic Howard the Duck run, Howard found himself transformed into the only human living in a city of anthropomorphic animals. That bizarre status quo is making a comeback in the Secret Wars-themed one-shot. Howard the Human follows the intrepid detective over the course of a single day as he pounds the pavement and dodges bullets. As I recall, that was in the middle of Disney suing Marvel over Howard. Oh, really? Yeah, because he looked too much like Donald. Oh, interesting. And so when he came back, he was changed slightly. And then the two that I am most excited for, um, Hank Johnson, Agent of Hydra, number one, <laughs> uh, written by David Mandel and, and, and art by Michael Walsh. Um, David Mandel, is, he wrote for Seinfeld. He wrote for um, he, he, Curb Your Enthusiasm. Uh, he's spending his one shot uh, about a humble Hydra agent as he battles Hydra's HR department and races <laughs> to pick up his kids from school. <laughs> I, I don't know that artist, but that cover looks very much like Javier Polito from She-Hulk. Similar. Um, Michael Walsh uh, did um, Secret Avengers. He's doing the Secret Avengers run right now. I did a book uh, called Comeback uh, for uh, Image a few years ago as well. Uh, very good artist, but similar style. He has that similar style, like that, David Aja, that all kinds yes. of kind of look to it. And we're finally getting uh, Captain America White from Jeff Loeb and Tim Sale. Yeah. Zero Issue wow. came out years ago, um, but uh, the number one will be released in September, and then the six-issue miniseries is supposed to come out at, on a regular schedule. So, I mean, that was supposed to come out, I don't even know how long ago, when, when Daredevil Yellow came yeah. out and Spider-Man Blue came out and all those books came out. So you're finally going to get the completion uh, uh, of Jeff Loeb and Tim Sale's Captain America White. How did the story begin? I don't even remember it. No idea. I'm going to assume yeah. that they're going <laughs> to reissue. I should hope. I could bring it in for you guys if you want to actually have that, uh, a copy of that lying around. Yeah, Of absolutely. the Zero Issue? Cool. Yeah. I'm very excited about that. I love Jeff Loeb and Tim Sale's work together. Yeah. So it'll be very, very cool to see that. I need a cap fix. Yeah. Absolutely. I'm, tired. I'm, I'm sorry, but I'm tired of looking at uh, Steve Rogers looks as old as I am. <laughs> That's not, not the fantasy. I, <laughs> yeah, it's not what I want. It's young forever. <laughs> well, 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 it was fine when I was eight and he was coming back to the Avengers. That was fine, you know, that he looked older than I am. But now it's not so much fun. No, not so much fun. No. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, and, um, you know, uh, DC announced something very big at C2E2 as well. Um, something that we'll actually, I think, have a little discussion about right now, which is that uh, they announced Dark Knight 3, Dark Knight Returns 3, The Master Race, uh, written by Frank Miller and Brian Azzarello, oh. unnamed artist, the no, no, no announced artist. Apparently, they've been working on it for a while now, about six months, and that it will be released uh, this mm-hmm. fall. Um, so I'm interested to hear opinions uh, on this, because I have a very strong one <laughs> about it myself. Um, but Mara, I don't, have you ever read Dark Knight Returns? Um. I read. Oh, I'm trying to see whatever one is that is the one, the, the dark whatever. Dark Knight Returns. Like, Returns is, yeah, yeah is the like first the one. Punk kids. And yes. Batman's yep. old and yes. Carrie little and... Carrie. Yep. Yes. Uh, I read that. Yes. Um, what, what did you think of that book? <laughs> I read it once. <laughs> um, I don't know. It's just not my. It's not my cup of tea, and mm-hmm. that's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm glad that I read it. I'm glad that I tried it. It's. I would consider it part of comics canon. Mm-hmm. Um, because of its influence, and um, I, I I feel comfortable leaving it at that. Uh, do you have any? Do you, have you read any other Frank Miller stuff? Uh, no, okay. I don't believe I have. All right. Um, I don't think he and I swim in the same comic circles. I don't think yeah. so either. <laughs> 
that would probably be an accurate and very kind way of describing Frank Miller's position at the moment. Um, Steve, I, I think yeah. last time we talked about Dark Knight Returns, I don't think you had read it. No. No. Have you Have you read it at this point? I have. Nah, yeah. No. Wait. No. I definitely <laughs> no. I definitely read the first one. Okay. Have I read? Is that the one? Which one does Carrie Kelly comes in the first or second? The first, first. one. Okay. The first I, one was also one they made the animated movie out of. I don't know if you saw that the DC yes, animated it did. movie. It was awesome. Yeah. Um. I honestly, if I don't, if I don't remember it at this point, then I probably didn't read it. But I feel like when the movies came out, I made a point to read them. Obviously, if I read them and they're not coming up, then it didn't really leave a lasting impression on me. Mm-hmm. Um. I mean, I. It's it's a situation of me being interested in reading it just because going back and let let's say I haven't read it, I get to read it for the first time. I think that would be pretty cool. Um, but I mean, as far as being excited for it, I'm not even sure if I read the other one. So how can I, you know, be doing any <laughs> cartwheels over it? Yeah. But um, I don't know. What do you think, Bobby? Uh, for me. Um... Look, I, I love The Dark Knight Returns. I, I think if you haven't read The Dark Knight Returns, you should read The Dark Knight Returns. It's a, it's a great uh, look at a hypothetical future of what Batman could turn into in his late 50s. And, and um, it has some stellar scenes and some stellar issues. Um, the Joker confrontation is fantastic. The Superman confrontation is fantastic. Um, and it really is a culmination, you know, a, a that happened 30 years ago or whatever, 40 years ago at this point, wherever it is now, um, of the potential of what Batman's career would end up being. Um, lo- I, I love, I love the Dark Knight Returns. Um, Frank Miller, uh, let's let me. Uh, I, you know, I, I, the, you cannot deny his place in in the history of comics. He wrote some of the the some of the best ones of all time. He has some of the most memorable runs on characters. Some of you know, he's one of the first truly. Um, mainstream indie creators he went on mm-hmm. of his own and did something and, and made books on his own when that was you know just starting to become a thing um there's lots of things in his past that are, are, are really notable and really great um the unfortunate thing about this announcement is that that stuff is very far in his past and i wrote something semi-snarky on twitter when i said remember 20 years ago when frank miller already was not a good writer you know anymore and and, like it's very snarky and i was being i was being snarky on purpose but the truth is like i haven't read something from frank miller in a very long time that excited me in any way um dark knight strikes again is is a complete mess um in my opinion, uh, All Star Batman and Robin is also not very good, um, and this is just Batman work I'm talking about. I have not I have not read Holy Terror, which came out not that long ago, which people don't seem to like very much. But I don't I didn't really care for 300, you know, stuff like that, which is even a little farther back. But I just I, there 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 is there there is something about he's kind of fallen into um just writing. I feel like about his political views in his books. And much like happens with some artists and some creators, some actors, directors, whatever it might be, um, their weird personal shit leaks into their creative life and they become one and it's very hard to separate. And if you don't agree with the things that they're saying, it's tough to read their stuff and separate yourself from it because you don't see the art anymore. You see the artist and that's a tough thing to do. So I am... I, look, I think Brian Azzarello is a great writer. I don't know how much of this is going to be his stamp, how much is going to be Frank Miller's stamp. We don't know who's drawing it. 
So I don't know what the the end goal is going to be. And I will certainly read the first issue of it to see what it is, just out of sheer, sheer curiosity. But I, I cannot say when I saw the announcement that I was excited about the announcement. I mean, Bob, what, what, what do you have to say? Uh, first of all, we're talking about separation. It is hard when it is now part of the work. Mm-hmm. When it is a Venn diagram that never connects, it's great. And I, I've managed to be successfully a fan of Charlton Heston and John Wayne movies mm-hmm. without their personal politics and it, the reverse where I can't watch Barbra Streisand in a movie though we agree politically probably 100% <laughs> and I just can't there's just something so it's I, I've managed to be that but it's hard here where he was not this person mm. before something's happened whatever it happens to all of us we all mm-hmm. change as we grow or regress and the person who wrote Martha Washington isn't the person who wrote Holy Terror. Mm-hmm. The person who wrote those daredevil issues mm-hmm. about the little guy trying to do the right thing no matter what else was going on seemed to have gone away a little bit. Now, that said, I haven't read much lately. I have sampled. Mm-hmm. But the last thing I probably truly loved was Sin City, mm-hmm. which goes back a very, very long way. Yes. Uh, the first Dark Knight, Dark Knight Returns, is great, despite, to me, the second half kind of goes off the rails a little bit. It was better, the Gotham City stuff, less the superhero stuff. I know I've said here on the air that there's something on John Byrne's site where that book was not about what it would end up as until the Watchmen pages started wandering in. It was like, oh, wait, we can deconstruct supers? We can mm. do this sort of thing? And so Frank went somewhere a little different with where his ending would have been. It would have been nice to see what the original ending might have been. It doesn't matter. It's still great. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's it's if there's an essential reading list in comic books, that's on it. Mm-hmm. If not near the top with Watchmen and just mm-hmm. very very few others, some Will Eisner things. The second one is one of the worst things I've ever read. <laughs> it is just horrible beyond words and a complete and utter mess. And <laughs> characters drag through the mud and just don't waste two seconds. Mm-hmm. It's just not worth it. And that all star Batman and Robin, yeah, the same. Yeah, more of the same. It's as if he hates the thing that got him where he is. I shouldn't speak mm. for someone else, but right. there, there, there seems to be a loathing for the form that wasn't there before. This is someone who celebrated it, mm. and whether it was Will Eisner's spirit was when you thought if there was one person in comics who could do a Will Eisner spirit movie properly, it was Frank Miller, and we saw where that went. Yeah, <laughs> something's. Something not the same. Mm-hmm. And he may be very happy where he is. I think as, as a reader who enjoyed his work before, I have owned loads of Frank Miller stuff. Mm-hmm. I am not the fan of what he does now. Right. Uh, could Mr. Azarello fix that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I am really concerned that the subtitle is The Master Race. Yes. That concerns that me as well. That really puts me in a bad frame of mind to start with. And it could be a joke. It could be snark. It could be some sort of witty repartee we're, we're using here. But I, no, I think with all the things he said about his own political stances, that's not what you put on this book right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I mean, I, I, I hope, look, I hope that it's great. Me too. I, I hope that it's fantastic and that it closes off his kind of time with that character in an appropriate way. You know, we didn't even mention year one, which is probably even better, better. Yes, than Dark Knight absolutely. Returns. Um, and you know, he, he 
he helped to, and he created a lot of what that character is still now. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I think that there, there's a appropriate amount of respect, I think, that obviously we have for his, for his work, but it's, it was just so weird to see it announced and not be excited for it. Yeah. It was, it was very much a, a, like, I don't know. I have no idea what this is going to be. And hopefully the only thing I hope is that having someone there like Azarello to kind of be a check and balance on him, you know, hopefully keeps the the story about the story and doesn't yeah. float into other things. Walking through the minefield. Yeah, exactly. Come right down the center and don't exactly. trip anything. Uh, but we'll have to see, you know, I know there were some people on the forums who were very excited about it and I think that's awesome. You know, I, and, and you know, I had someone who, you know, shot me a line on Twitter and was saying, you know, the, um, the, the, the passion that he has and what he does, regardless of what the reason whether or not, or, or how good it is, he appreciates that he has that fire and, that, that's that's a, a it's a totally yes. valid point um but for me it tends to turn me off to his stuff so hopeful but not not expecting good things is kind of where i am with it we'll try one yeah and see where we go i'm very <laughs> yeah. interested in who the artist is going to be I, I i i i it feels weird to me they haven't they didn't announce it with the book um uh, maybe they were afraid it was going to leak or something so they figured they had to do it before before that happened um, get it out there, but I, I I would assume if they're looking at a September-ish release that they have an artist already. Yeah, they have to have something in the pipe already. Yeah, maybe they're saving it for Comic-Con. Maybe it's a super big announcement. So, Klaus Jansen hmm. still working? Yeah, though I don't know I don't know who that is that you save that for. You know for that, but we'll see. John Romita Jr. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, please. <laughs> <laughs> um, please. All right. <laughs> Let's uh. Let's talk about our books of the week. Bob, I believe that you are first. Sure. Let's Tell me go. about let's the go. book you bought this week. The book. Yes. <laughs> my my pull list had only one book on it, and it's the lowest number in my half century of collecting mm-hmm. and reading comic books. That said, the unbeatable Squirrel Girl number four would still have been my book of the week if I had bought 20 books this week. It is mm. just that amazingly good. Now... In this issue by Ryan North and Erica Henderson, we wrap up the first arc's overrunning Galactus storyline as Doreen and Tippy-Toe fly to confront the Big G on the moon as he prepares to devour the Earth. Now, if that's not screwball enough for you, 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 you I, please, you should be reading this book because <laughs> you're... It's the cutest you, thing ever. Yes, and your expectations are constantly challenged, played with, toyed with, and no matter how high they seem to raise the bar page to page it gets funnier and cuter and yes more emotional as the solicitation for this issue was the the wonderful line that i'm now stealing constantly you know who will win the power cosmic or the power chestnut now who comes up with a thing like that but it's here and it works i really i am I want to sit here and read you the entire book and and go down incident by incident, but it is so filled with just off-kilter humor, just you're misdirected constantly that I I do not want to ruin this and, and let you discover page by page how this all works. It's just a tremendous amount of heart and the characterizations, and that includes squirrels, demigods, Demigods that are squirrels, in case people glossed past that panel. Uh, you, you get tons of Marvel back history, including a panel where you actually see how Galactus was miscolored in 
Fantastic Four number 48. It is sad that this book hasn't found the audience. I think it should, but I think it's in that sweet spot where the book will continue to get better and better. And as more people talk, this is just going to grow, whether that's through digital sales or cosplay. I, I mean, out at C2E2, some of the pictures I've seen of people doing Galactus and Tippy Toe with the little <laughs> pink bow on her. <laughs> uh, for me, I, I think at some level, my appreciation came for this because Stephanie, who recommended to all of us Adventures of Superhero Girl by Faith Aaron Hicks, and anyone who enjoyed the crap out of that, as we kept talking about that over all these years, this is right there. It's a fun little corner of the Marvel Universe that still has weight and the characters you love and the worlds you're part of, but it's here. If you had told me a year ago that I'd be looking at this as one of my favorite books every month, I'd have told you you were nuts. But hey. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. I actually did write that one. I did write that one down. Sorry. That's why it came did. off so badly. Uh, but I, I had gotten to meet uh, Ms. Henderson briefly during, I guess it was special edition, just as this was coming out and had her, I bought a book from her called Baby's First Mythos, which is a whole bunch of, it's a Cthulhu alphabet book for babies. <laughs> and if, if that doesn't tell you all you need to know about where something like Squirrel Girl is at, it isn't just goofy. There is an undercurrent of real superheroics and real character dynamics. Her relationship with her roommate, Nancy, who... I can't say what happens. Something big happens in this issue, and Lord knows where it's going in the future. But anyway, I could go on for hours, and I already have. So Unbeatable Squirrel number four, Ryan North, Erica Henderson. Buy it. You won't regret it. Very nice, Bob. Thank you. You do love that book. I do love that book. <laughs> Did anybody else read it? Yes. Amara, uh, what about you? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> it's... <sighs> I, I mean, I don't want to say anything to spoil it, but like the way that she approaches the problem of Galactus just amuses me so much. <laughs> and I, I just, I love her for it. I, I, I guess I can leave it there. I'll leave it there. Yes. Okay. There you go. <laughs> Steve, what about you? Did you read it? I actually have not read it because I misplaced my issue number three and bought four, but have yet to recover number three. So. Part of my my mission when uh, and I come back to the states is to locate that third issue and get caught up. Seems like a likely story, Steve. Uh, how about you, Chief? Did you? <laughs> no, I haven't read yeah, it. Yeah, Bobby. Was... What about you, man? No, I haven't read it. I have no I have no excuse though, Steve. I just didn't read it. Ah, <laughs> likely story. <laughs> no, that is the story. <laughs> I know. It's likely. Um, I think in, in in the comic world now we always it's probably a, a question I should ask for Stephanie when we do one of our question each other kind of segments. But Doreen would be one of the people you'd want to sit around a dinner table with and have a conversation <laughs> with because she is just insanely engaging and wonderful. I do brunch and, with her. I would yes. do brunch. Yeah, there you go. You know, some nice waffles. Some mimosas. Her. Yeah. Actually, I, like I don't think she's of age. Isn't she a freshman in college? Yeah, true. This is true. <laughs> don't be a bad influence, Bob. I'll drink the, the mimosas. Mm-hmm. Right. She doesn't need it to be high on life. Right. There you go. She's an Avenger, though, so I think their drinking age is lowered. She's no, she Avenger. was a Great Lakes Avenger. That doesn't even count. <laughs> Bob, why are, you dis- why are you dissing Squirrel Girl? What, a Great Lakes Avenger? Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, you know, it's, it is the junior team, but she did beat Thanos. That's pretty good, then. Yeah. 
And, you know, she's already beaten Craven in this run. <laughs> By the way, Hugh pointed out and, and tweeted this all around, which is brilliant. At the start of this book, there's an entire page of Galactus and Squirrel Girl and Tippy Toe tweets. They're real accounts. Oh, yeah. They're uh, actually real accounts. There aren't, there isn't much on them, but they're <laughs> real accounts. So if you open this book up and you go to, you know, you know, at Galactus on Twitter, <laughs> there's a Galactus Twitter account. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. That is pretty awesome. Steve. Bobby. Book of the week time, sir. Yeah. What do you got for us? So um, I went back in my collection, as one would do. Um, I actually only had five uh, books this week. This past Wednesday, and uh, none of them did I bring with me on my trip. So here we are. <laughs> um, what I found was Darwin Cook's uh, DC, The New Frontier. I got the deluxe hardcover edition. It is absolutely one of the most gorgeous books uh, that I own. I'm jealous. I, have you seen it, Bob? Yes, I'm very jealous. Oh, it's it's incredible. It's the presentation of this is just. I'll get into that in a second. Um, so I've read chapters one through six. Now, to say that each chapter would be an issue, I don't know. Uh, the way that this reads is everything, everything, every issue or every arc or, or story element that it covers moves so seamlessly into the next that I have absolutely no idea how much of this uh, I've read page-wise or issue-wise. Um, the book kind of reads like a history book for superheroes and the people that are closest to them, kind of like a six degrees of superheroes kind of thing. And um, the story begins, for people that don't know, in the year 1945 and then moves on into the 50s and so on. Uh, it starts with a military group that call themselves the Losers. And they're exploring a Savage Land-like island where dinosaurs and other horrors and everything are there. And it's like lots of history, like real real world history mixed with huge comic book action, um, heartbreak, and, and all kinds of like just dinosaur adventures and stuff right in the span of a couple of pages. And just blew me away um within the first like 15 pages that i opened this book and i was immediately hooked um it's got kind of this cool presentation where you get articles uh written by like dc characters so you have an article about rick flag uh written by iris west from the flash and you have other stuff written by lois lane throughout the series and it's kind of like as you're going through these this time from like the 40s to the 50s and so on you're seeing kind of these expanded origins of characters and they have characters like Hal Jordan and Rick Flagg and Martian Manhunter and Batman and a lot of it is these superheroes kind of witnessing what each other can do for the first time that like up until that moment where you're in the story watching these heroes share a moment together they had they had, they had only heard about them and heard about what they can do and now like you're there to share this like revealing moment with them. And it's really cool because characters show up out of nowhere. Like you're at a dinner party following one character and then you look over at another table and there'll be like four characters. Dino Lance is there, Bruce Wayne and Selena Kyle and Hal Jordan. And they're all just there. And like, that's your introduction into their characters, into this giant story uh, that Darwin Cook has created. Um, if you guys have any questions, just stop me because I'm just going to rant about it for another few minutes. Go for it. You're right. doing great. 
the art is outrageously gorgeous. Um, it's kind of a mixture. I don't know what you would call it. I call it good, like good old boy art, where everybody kind of looks like they're a gumshoe. Um, mm-hmm. It's very, I would say, like Chris Samney meets Bruce Tim. And um, I don't want to shortchange anybody that contributes to this uh, amazing series. There are uh, guest artists and colorists uh, from J Bone, David Bullock, Michael Cho, uh, David Dave Stewart of Hellboy fame, and uh, Jared K. Fletcher uh, does the lettering for the issues. And um, it's diff- kind of difficult to keep track of like where one story ends and one begins because, like I said, as you read it you discover that everything is connected to one another but in a good way not in like a ridiculous everything happening in one place but just more of a like one monumental moment in superhero history led to another which led to another an artifact was unearthed and this artifact gets you know uh activated years down the line which then calls in the flash and and calls in wonder woman and these people need to come together um for the common time and it's just like a wonderful wonderful introduction to uh so many of these mainline characters and even some of the more minor ones too and um i can't stress enough just how absolutely beautiful uh this book is you got some hilarious wonder woman in here i'd never read anything with rick flag before and now i love him i don't always go for uh military style characters but he's just really mysterious and he's got you know balls of steel and he's very selfless and like i care about him i care about his platoon and just all this wonderful wonderful stuff uh going on in this book um bob you've read this right yeah it's Here's the thing: the the movie is is a lot of fun, but it loses so much of that stuff. You're talking about the the dinosaur army stuff. Is the our army at war? Tons of stuff with the challenges of the unknown. Mm-hmm. You know, who those were created by Jack Kirby back in in the late '50s when he was over at DC when he was doing Green Arrow and so on and so forth. Just as the remember the DC modern universe, the Silver Age begins with Showcase Four in 1956. So mm-hmm. this whole series is basically the way I looked at it was. It's the history of the, the DC universe in the Silver Age as told as if it were the real 1940s and 50s and not yes. the sort of glossed over Leave it to Beaver one that those books were set in. The political things are there, the interaction between characters and worlds and, and the political situations involved and, and the military-industrial complex, and it's all fun mm-hmm. and engaging and beautiful and wonderful and Edgy, as you say, it's like a private eye, sort of Mickey Spillane thing to it, going on to a little Will Eisnery, yeah, here and there, because some of the layouts are incredible, the, the shadowing and so on and so forth. Who color? Who's doing the coloring on that? Well, Is Dave that Stewart. Dave Stewart uh, doing most of it. On, yeah, I mean, it, yeah. it looks like Dave Stewart colors to me. Right there, there are panels where all you're seeing is a silhouette, and it's as if you're seeing the whole thing because yeah. your mind's eye just goes to this backlit. Mm-hmm. Uh, just a gorgeous, gorgeous book. That's why I'm saying I'm jealous. You've got that 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 big honking version of it that I look at every time I'm in the comic store and go, I'm going to own that someday instead of these ragtag assemblage of comic books. I don't even own all the issues. So I think now that we're talking about it, that's, that's another thing you've made me buy this week. Thanks well, Bob, I, uh, I do believe that I owe you at least uh, 
two gifts to make up for the ones that I, I got for you, but then you already had. <laughs> so perhaps uh, perhaps a copy of this will wind up in your lap in the near future. That'd be lovely. Thank um, you, Steve. But I mean, it's 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 absolutely spectacular. Mm-hmm. Um, the Martian Manhunter stuff is wonderful. Oh, His, so great. Him like crashing to Earth and kind of learning about our history and our culture through uh, like hiding out in an, in an apartment building and watching television. And he's like morphing himself into Groucho and Bugs Bunny yeah. and learning about humor and and it's just like I, I know I go on and on about books a lot on the show and I talk about art and oh my god this book is amazing but this book is seriously one of the most beautiful anythings that I own um, and also Steve. Bobby um, oh sorry go ahead if, no it's good I uh, has some of the best flash stuff that I've, I've ever read. I haven't read a lot, mm-hmm. but the flash stuff in here is there's one whole section where he's uh, taking down Captain Cold well, simultaneously trying to rescue a friend of his. And he's kind of going through like introducing anybody that hasn't known him to all of his powers and describing them to the reader. And just in this one act of, of rescue and trying to foil this, plan of captain colds and running around the city like you get to see the gamut of what he's capable of doing and the way that it's described to you and like the things that he thinks about when he needs to phase through things uh is just really really uh engaging and uh i mean i've i've loved every single page of this i haven't read anything else because i'm i'm stuck on this and it's it's quite big i've uh i actually have never read the book um I've seen the movie, the the DC animated movie, which is fantastic, mm-hmm. and even the the flash stuff that's in there is great. One of my, fa- I don't know if it's in the book or not, but one of my favorite parts of the movie is when Batman goes to see the Martian Manhunter, mm-hmm. and he goes, and yeah. he's like, I have a, I have, a, I don't know the exact number. He's, he's like, I have a twenty million dollar meteorite to stop the guy from Metropolis. All I need to stop you is a book of matches, yeah. and then he like goes out the window or whatever. <laughs> Loved that moment in the movie. I was like, that's so cool. <laughs> It, it's really awesome. amazing in a book with 4,000 characters in it, literally. Everyone has a moment. Everyone is dead on model. Mm-hmm. That stuff with the Flash that we're, mm-hmm. we're all talking about here, that's right out of the Infantino Broom Flash where he, as he vibrated through a wall or whatever, you'd get a, a discussion of, well, it's just how a piece of straw in a, in a tornado can go through a tree. And, mm-hmm. yeah. and it, it, he did his homework. He Darwin Cook really just went and must have immersed himself in all of DC's history, mm-hmm. and boy, he puts it out there in such a way that that love is there, and it, it it just flows into you just organically. Just an amazing series. I mean, you're talking about organic. I was talking uh, about the Martian Manhunter before, and one of the things that he did was when he was watching all of the programs, he learned a lot about what heroes are and what villains are, and in on his own accord decided that he wanted to be a hero. So one of his default personas and or disguises that he morphs into is like your classic right out of the movie's gumshoe, like a Humphrey yes. Bogart type character. Mm-hmm. And by way of getting his his policeman's license and, and going into law enforcement, he winds up uh, taking a case where he goes after a cult that is operating uh, within the basement of a Catholic church and when they get so word of what's going down, he busts through the doors and inside fighting the cultists, like 45, 65 of them by himself is Batman. And the, his partner kind of has to tell him who Batman is because he's never seen anything like it before. And it's just like 
that's the moment in the story when they cross cross paths. Mm-hmm. And then from then on, you know, the recognizing them outside of, of that situation takes place and then they meet later again. And mm-hmm. just the interconnectivity of, of how all of the heroes become aware of one another is uh, really fascinating and exciting. That's just one uh, meeting. Mm-hmm. I've, I've gone through several and I'm only, uh, you know, six chapters in. And that whole thing with the Martian Manhunter, I'm going deep into my history here today. I, I thank you so much for bringing this up, Steve, because it's yeah. just such a great series. The Martian Manhunter actually comes before The Flash. He appeared two years before in 1954 in, uh, why am I thinking it was a house of mystery? But he gets dragged here by a scientist accidentally and takes on a human identity by learning about us and becomes a policeman. Mm-hmm. So that's just, you know, again, Darwin Cook finding a way to tell that story in a new way and interconnect with Batman and all these things that are going on. Boy, it's the kind of thing that if, if you want to create a second sort of DC universe, this New Frontier one, how many stories could you have told in all these years? How long ago did it come out? Is it, uh, is it 10 years? Um, I'll look on the inside and see if I can yeah, find it. It must be. But I think there were so many stories to be told in that universe. I I could have visited it forever. Uh, it looks like it says two thousand four. Okay, I'm in the ballpark. Yeah, back there somewhere. Martian uh, Mentor yeah. is, is absolutely one of my favorite characters in the entire world. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm I probably have to read this because I want to get more yes. of that character. Yeah, I mean this is. Um, just this, it, it starts on page nine and ends on page uh, 409. So, I mean, this is, this is you know, 400 pages. And then you've got an afterward that uh, beyond that, you've got like another 45 pages of Justice League, the new Frontier special, uh, Art of the Animated Special, biographies. I mean, this, this thing is chock full of material. And I believe it's, um, if you find it on Amazon, it's only thirty four ninety nine. Wow. Uh, for the for this entire hardcover set, um, this is seriously. I saw it on uh, our friend Justin um, from the Games Podcast and Backup Stories. I saw it on his shelf, and I just I immediately coveted it and had to have it. Awesome! So there you go. Awesome! Great job, Steve. Thanks, Bob. Thanks for chiming in. Ah, love that series. Um. All right, Mara. I think it's your oh, turn. Oh, boy. Um, <laughs> so my pick of the week is Star Wars number four. Star Wars? What? Really? What Star upset? Wars. <laughs> you don't like Star Wars. Nobody saw that coming. <laughs> okay. Um, but real talk, guys. Uh, Jason Aaron has been doing some incredible work with this Star Wars series. And, um, you know, it kind of goes back to the whole we know where the characters are going to end up. Um, and for years, we've kind of pieced it together in our own way, whether whether it's um, playing video games in between the movies or reading expanded universe books or comics and things like that. Um, so it's, it's interesting seeing another take on how we get from um, Yavin to Hoth. Um, so in the series so far... Han, Luke, and Leia have destroyed a weapons factory to set back the, the Empire. But it's it feels more like an annoyance rather than a major setback. And truth be told, it was very dangerous for the team. And in this issue, Leia is 
calling the the rebels to step up their game. She's like, we got to actually do something. We have to keep going. We can't take breaks. And, you know, um, Mon Mothma's like, uh, did you know that your team barely survived? We cannot afford to keep doing this. And, you know, at the same time, Luke had this major run-in with Vader. And I think it's the first, unless they go back and change something, who knows? Um, the first face-to-face encounter, other than seeing him across the bay. So this is his, you know, there's a lot of emotions in that interaction because he struck down Ben Kenobi, who was supposed to teach him the Force and become a Jedi Knight like his father. So there's a lot of um, hope that was killed in that in that moment. And we see in this issue, Luke starting to come to terms with that. Like, I will never become a Jedi. I, that's not going to happen now. It's not in the in the cards for me because Vader took that away from me. Um, so there's that existential crisis and that whole, what am I even doing here? He spent his whole life trying to get off Tatooine and now that he's off Tatooine, he doesn't feel like he belongs anymore. And it's sad. Like, yeah. now I have I have feelings for Luke now. <laughs> oh, come on. You did this thing you didn't before? <laughs> well, they weren't as strong as they were in this moment. Okay. Know, watching him just get, you know, lasered to death by these little, you know, those little droid balls that shoot lasers so you can practice your lightsaber skills. Man, those things just take him down. He cannot handle it. <laughs> um, but one of the, the most interesting things that come out of this issue is this interaction between Vader and Jabba the Hutt. And we saw an interaction similar to that in Vader number one when he's looking for some... Um, well, the Vader comics is all about Darth Vader trying to separate himself a little bit from the Emperor and build his own army, his own um, loyal servants or whatever. So he's going to Jabba to you know work on that. But it's so it's so funny seeing these two villains just try to stare down each other and they're trying to strike a deal. Like Vader's like, the Emperor does not negotiate. You will give us the supplies. And Jabba the Hutt's like, hell no, I won't. Like, why, why would I just give you this? Vader's like, I'm going to let you live. Like, I'm going to shoot you down. Vader's like, yeah, right. Um, so they come to terms and, you know, Jabba celebrates everything by killing something. And it, there's just this odd moment where they're on the a sail barge going across the Dune Sea, shooting down Banthas. Like all these thugs from Jabba's Aww. palace and Salacious Crumb is laughing. And, you know, Jabba's like, this is a mark of our good friendship. Vader's like, we are not friends. <laughs> but it's just, it's just very weird and hilarious and unexpected. And there's a, a really good cliffhanger at the end of this issue that, um, you know, Number five can't come soon enough. So Star Wars. Very cool. Nice. I, I like when you get really excited about stuff that happens in Star Wars because it's like you're sitting like across from your friend when you're like eight years old <laughs> being like, and then this happens, and then that happened, and then it was like awesome. And then you kind of got this lightsaber. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I never grew out of that. I'm still I'm still seven year old Mara, just <laughs> throwing pillows at my brothers while watching X Wings fly down the Death Star. But that's what stuff is supposed to do to you. Absolutely. It really is supposed to turn Absolutely. you right back into that kid you were. And mm-hmm. I know I've said this before. When I saw Star Wars, I was 21. Mm-hmm. And in a theater, in a curved screen sitting about the fourth row, you had to buy tickets two hours in advance and so on. 
the crawl begins, you know, the, the, the pre-credit thing, which is right out of the Flash Gordon series of the 30s, I was instantly seven again. Mm-hmm. It was, I know what he's doing. I know what's going to happen. And I bought in big. Hmm. And Mr. Lucas has taken me out of it. But <laughs> I am so, you know, I, I read the first issue of Leah. It was, it was mm-hmm. one of my books that I highlighted that week. And I really, really enjoyed it. Uh, what do you think, Mara? Are these better to read in clumps or are these single issues month to month? I know you're going to read them month to month, but what I, about the rest yeah. of us? I have been reading them. The reason I'm reading them month to month is because the way that they're released, they all kind of, I don't know, to me, it's interesting. Because even though, like, Leia has her own book that she's off doing her her thing, and she's also in the Star Wars book, in my mind, I'm trying to piece everything together and... Um, Put a timeline to it, and it's it's nice because it seems like every week a different Star Wars book comes out. Okay, like this month it was Kanan, and then Darth Vader, and then Star Wars, and then on Wednesday is the the third Princess Leia issue, and then we get Kanan the next week. So I feel mm-hmm. like I like you know this is awesome because Star Wars book <laughs> yes. is okay. Which you know the saddest thing is like Dark Horse was putting out Star Wars books all the time too, mm-hmm. but by the time I I realized like there's this whole Star Wars comics out there. I mean, Dark Horse had a ton of books in a huge expanded universe that I didn't know where to start. Whereas Marvel was like, okay, you know, these are the characters we know. This, these are the events from the movies. We're just going to go from there. And that comes back with the whole wiping the expanded universe and just having mm-hmm. a new canon start now. So for me, these Marvel comics and the books that are coming out and, and the movies and everything has just like revitalized the Star Wars love in me. Now, Mar, did they keep any of the Expanded Universe stuff? Wasn't well, there some stuff that they said was still... It, it depends on what you're looking at. So Expanded Universe is called the Legends Universe mm-hmm. now. Um, and the canon is now the six movies, Star Wars Clone Wars, Star Wars Rebels, and books that were published since... April 2014, I believe. Oh, interesting. So that's, I think, the Tarkin book and Heirs of the Jedi, A New Dawn, um, Lords of the Sith, which came out on April 28th today. Um, so. <laughs> uh, yesterday. And, yeah, yesterday. That's yesterday. right. <laughs> sorry. And, Come on, Mara. Um, I've been doing podcasts for a long time. <laughs> all right. <I'm> sorry. <laughs> But they, I think that they will introduce parts of the expanding universe into canon, like they did with Clone Wars and Darth mm-hmm. Bane. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's still some hope that favorite characters like Mara Jade and Jaina Sola will yes. show up. Um, I just don't know how or when or... I want me some Thrawn, Mara. Yeah, yeah. Uh, help I'm me actually, out here. Thrawn is... Thrawn, well, the, the only expanding universe books that I have read, Mara, are the three Timothy Zahn the, the Thrawn trilogy. Like, it, it basically picks up like, this is what happens after Return of the Jedi. Oh. Um, yes. So, it's on uh, Marvel um, Ultimate now. Oh, really? Uh, Unlimited. That's it. Oh, Marvel really? Unlimited. Wow. And before mm. I subscribed to Marvel Unlimited, I had bought the graphic novel digitally on Comixology. So that's what I'm reading right now. The oh, Thrawn. I didn't know they had a graphic novel. Yeah. The whole, oh. the whole trilogy in graphic novel form. I'm going to read that. Yeah, <laughs> uh, the books are were great. Um, it deals with like kind of like this last like you know Grand Moff like admiral of the Empire who you know he's kind of builds up kind of a rebellion against the 
you know, the rebels in, sure. in, in a lot of ways. Um, and he's an alien and he's not human, humanoid, which is uh, a thing for the Empire because they're very kind of like gentri- gentrified. Zeno- xenophobic. Yeah. Xenophobic. Yeah. Um, and yeah, but then it's it's when you, you know, Mara Jade gets, gets another very, very big expanded universe character. It's a great three books. Really, really great. Mm-hmm. Um, the graphic novel does a good job adapting. Awesome. Um, from what I remember. I'll have to check that out. <laughs> so Definitely. I'd recommend it. I could it. talk about Star Wars all day. Um, and I know well, you could, Mara. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so moving on, uh, my book of the week. So after last week, um, you know, we talked about the new FF trailer, um, and and Steve had talked about the the current run of Fantastic Four, and Bob had mentioned when we were talking about the trailer that um, it was very much kind of the Millar Miller um, uh, Ultimate Fantastic Four. So I thought I've never read this. A bunch of people are saying this. I kind of, I kind of want to know um, what I'm getting into when I see the movie. Will maybe this will make me look forward to the movie more? Let, let's see. You know, Good you know. attempt. Exactly. Yeah. I, I want to see because I, I, I want to know what people are talking about when they say this is like this thing, and I don't know. Um, and I've always been a, a fan of, of the ultimate stuff, so I wanted to see what that stuff was like. And I came to two conclusions. One, I read the first 18 issues, which is the first three arcs. It's The first arc is uh, Miller and Bendis with art by Adam Kubert. The second arc is written by Warren Ellis with art by both Stuart Immonen and uh, Adam Kubert comes back. Um, and it deals with their origin, some Doctor Doom stuff, and then the first Annihilus storyline. So that's what I read. And I came away from those 18 issues, and I got to tell you, I really enjoyed those 18 issues. But... It did not make me any more excited for the movie, and here's the reason why. I enjoy the Ultimate Universe because I enjoy that it is a counterpoint to the 616 normal universe. And obviously that's all changing now. Secret Wars coming up. We don't know what, that, what that's all going to be. But I enjoy it as being like, you have the, 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 the core traditional Fantastic Four there. Here's like a different play. Like Here's like, yeah. if we created it now, maybe this is how it would happen type of situation. And, you know, it's not Elseworld because it has its own canon and it has its own implications that go beyond just one storyline, but it exists. And I think a lot of the ultimate stuff in a lot of ways exists in a way where you can go like, huh, this is interesting in comparison to the other stuff that's created. If you're a fan of, of both things, if you just read the ultimate stuff, obviously you don't have that, that point of view. So reading it all, all the time, I found myself going, Hmm, that's an interesting thing they did that made it different. I'm still not a fan of, and the Ultimate Universe of this in general. I think it was like their thing to make things simplified. You know, they 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 condensed origins and they and they made things more related than they were in the other universe. So you know, Peter and um, in the Spider-Man book, you know, Peter knew um, Eddie and they were friends together. Yeah. And you know, um, the symbiote was something in a lab that they both stumbled. This whole kind of thing. Uh, you know, in Fantastic Four, just like in the the first two Fantastic Four movies, Doctor Doom. Um, Victor in this Van Dam, I guess, yeah. who is just like what is he named in the movie? Yeah. Um, is is part of this think tank in the Baxter Building that Sue and Reed and 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 um and Johnny are part of, uh, and Ben happens to be an old friend of of Reed's, and so that kind of younged up, more age like more uh, consistency between their ages kind of situation is, is present here in this. And there's an accident while experimenting with a neg- negative zone, and it gives them their powers. So when, when this happens, you know, again, they get their powers and they have to deal with them together. Victor has his powers as well, but he is obviously gone crazy and is not, and it's not a good guy. 
And, you know, I enjoyed the dynamics between the characters. I liked the different way they played. I liked that even though Sue and Sue and Reed and Johnny and Ben were different ages than they are in the traditional stuff, that they still acted primarily like those characters with like slight differences. Um, you know, I, I kind of liked the the play on what Latveria would become, which was that he kind of creates this like fiefdom or in, in um, I think it's Bulgaria or something like that in Copenhagen, yeah. um, Denmark, sorry, where he's part, he's a citizen. So he's allowed to do the squatter thing and whatever. I liked that idea. So that's a cool twist on, on the Latveria thing. Uh, so I liked that. And I, I really did enjoy the negative zone stuff. I thought that, that was very cool. I liked their interaction with, with Nihilus. The Hubert art when Ben is like going crazy, I really, really loved. I thought that was great, um, and I, you know, I overall enjoyed. It. You know, I, I want to read more of it. I read all eighteen issues, and none of it felt like I was pushing myself, um, and I really liked that. Uh, so yeah, I, I enjoyed it. You know, the, the thing about, it, like I said though, is that it does make me more excited for the movie because again, I would rather see a more kind of um, traditional thing with the movie, and not so much, you know. Um, an other world tale before we get kind of right. the primary world tale. Um, I'd like to see them do the origin, the real way right at least once before we kind of go off and play around with other renditions of it. One of the things that made me less excited for the movie in, in some ways is that I do feel like now that their whole kind of rhetoric about like, this ain't no comic book story. Like this yeah. feels very disingenuous <laughs> because this feels nearly exactly you know, not in color palette, but in, in in story and function, nearly exactly what we're seeing from the movie. Yes. So, you know, I would rather them come out and been like, we're doing the ultimate version of the story. You know, I, I think that would have been fine. You know, if they had said that, at least we would have known what we were getting, not this kind of, you know, we don't care about comic books kind of feeling that we were getting from in the first place. So I came in with that, but that's kind of a more a meta thing than anything else. Just the comic itself, you know, I enjoyed it. I think if you have read a ton of Fantastic Four and you just kind of want more Fantastic Four, but you know, there isn't anything else to read and it's something you haven't read yet. I think that you would, I think that it's something that could be enjoyable. Um, I don't know, Bob, I know that obviously you said you read some of it back then and you weren't a big fan of it. Yeah. What was about it that you didn't like? Well, flattening the ages out causes a problem for me, mm. whether it was accidental or not. Stan and Jack created within those four characters, every possible avenue of relationships imaginable mm. uh boyfriend girlfriend brother sister old friend crabby uncle mm. to, you know rel uh relationship entanglements between them because ben was interested in sue until he got transformed into the thing we had all that going on there's also a sense of the epic missing by making it all this sort of think tank sort of deal, it pulls it away from it. We were talking about, you know, New Frontier. It was the space race. Mm -hmm. And we can do this and, and be better and reach for the stars and so on and so forth. That's sort of gone into what do we do for commerce mm -hmm. almost. And so that's all problems. As the book went on, and I, I, I did read a reasonable chunk of it, it got to be more like the Fantastic Four with younger characters. Mm -hmm. So eventually you'll get to Greg Land, um, which, yeah. Uh, again, as an Elseworlds, it was a fun sidebar read. I would suggest that uh, the Aguirre Sakaza Four is a better side read. The Marvel if, Knight stuff, right? Yeah, is, is just because it is the real characters told from a different angle. Mm -hmm. Here it's 
different characters entirely for the most part, mm. at least early on. And it's an interesting diversion. Mm-hmm. It's not awful. I mean, the the Heroes Reborn was <laughs> was awful. Was just awful. And the it was, you know, if you liked pinup artwork, it was okay. If you want to look at, you know, 22 pages of single pages, it was one thing. This was better. It just wasn't to my taste. For people getting into it from the first, as people did with Miles mm-hmm. eventually, or that Peter, mm-hmm. it was a way to be new. And that was the idea of the Ultimate Universe. We could jump in here and start over, except eventually you had, well, how many issues of Ultimate a Spider-Man? 140 a issues of yeah. that. So you, you, were like the same, years, so. Yeah, you were in the same place. Yeah. Well, the thing is, I was going to say is like, I totally understand, like, it, it not being a cup of tea. You know, for me, like, the differences don't matter to me because it didn't replace anything, right? Exactly. It's, it's just, it's, it's another universe. And I, I think that a Yellow Universe was a very cool way for them to have creators who maybe have been writing for a long time or had, like, those, like, itches to do something crazy with characters and let them do something a little bit crazy and not break into the canon yes. of, of the, the mainline stuff. And, um, for that, I liked it, and, and it made me go like, you know, I'm gonna try to read like first couple arcs of some of the other original Ultimate series. Like I've read some Ultimate Spider-Man, obviously, but I've never read the Ultimates. I've you know I've never read Ultimate X-Men or anything like that. So it made me want to break into that stuff, and I enjoyed it. You know, um, uh, but my hope that it would make me more excited for the movie, because despite what people might think, like I want to be excited for every movie, superhero or not, that yes. comes out that, that that I'm going to see. Because I'm going to see it because I'm going to talk about it on the show, so I'm going to see it. So I want to be excited going into it. I don't want to not be excited. <laughs> hey, have you in. gotten to the zombies yet? No, that's very much later. I actually was okay. texting with Rob Newmeyer, and he was like, "It's really good until you get to the zombies. That stuff is horrible." <laughs> I kind of like oh, the really? Marvel zombies. <laughs> oh, really? I. I it was an extra twist on a twist, mm-hmm. to, to, to quote the old Audrey Hepburn, William Holden movie, Paris, when it says, he's a screenwriter, there's the twist on the twist mm-hmm. on the twist. Mm-hmm. So now you have these oddball characters, you know, the ultimates, mm-hmm. who encounter what seems like the real Reed and Sue, except the twist is, no, they're, they're flesh-eating zombies. Oh, like Marvel zombie stuff in general, not bad, but there's like a... Apparently, there's like a zombie stuff that happens in the Fantastic Four book. That, yeah, and, like, but that's where they're introduced. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. It's fascinating and interesting. And it, it younger Reed makes a mistake and contacts mm. another Reed, uh, not okay. realizing who that other Reed is. Ah, okay. And then we have two different sets of stories that tie in. There's actually one hardcover that has both sets of those stories in it. And that led directly to Kirkman's... Oh, Marvel okay. Zombie I didn't series. know that. I did not know yeah. that. Interesting. They're fun. Very interesting. They're, they're, they're Greg Land, though. So you're gonna, but it's tough for me. Um, <laughs> uh, Mar or Steve, have you guys ever read Ultimate Fantastic Four? I think I might have read a few issues of it when we uh, maybe the first year that we started doing the site, but uh, mm. I never ended up keeping up on it. Gotcha, gotcha. What about you, Mara? Not um, actually. I haven't read any Fantastic Four. That seems surprising Wait, to me. Considering, it should, yeah, it should be really surprising, especially since I'm looking at like. Uh, yeah, I was gonna say your husband is, is like seven and I had a very lengthy on the conversation. Yeah. yeah, it's it's difficult. Do you, do you um, lie to him and tell him that you do read it? Oh, he, he, knows. <laughs> he knows. You'd really love it if you tried it. I know, I know. He, and like I said, here's the thing: I've got seven Fantastic Four omnibi within reach right now. Oh, Mara. And I've Go got two it. long boxes full of Fantastic Four single issues, and I've That's got Marvel Essentials. Um, seven or eight of those so i have absolutely no excuse yeah. 
Um, but no, I have not read Ultimate Fantastic Four. <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> yes. Uh, well, Matt and I are going to double team you. He just recently, <laughs> recently wrote to me uh, where he's starting to shoot the breeze about Fantastic Four. So you're, you're in trouble now. He's, he's got so many feelings about Fantastic Four right now. As, as we all do with the, today, as we speak, in the stores, mm. the final issue. Mm. <gasps> yeah. We, sh- we should uh, have Matt on at some point to talk about yes. Fantastic Four. He would love it. <laughs> he, he knows a lot. I bet. Um, all right. So that's Fantastic, Ultimate Fantastic Four, issues 1 through 18. Um, let's talk about Kaptara. Uh, Chip Zdarsky and Kagan McLeod, um, space. The f- Why you got to be like that <laughs> is the subtitle of Kaptara. Um, so the the baseline for this story is this: there's a mission to Mars happening, um, and it's filled with uh, a kind of diverse, kooky bunch of characters mm-hmm. who have some uh, problems with each other, and they run into a anomaly in space. And it causes their mission to go way off course. And our main character ends up on a planet in which he did not intend to be on. It's certainly not Mars. That's for sure. And he finds himself in a very, very interesting situation uh, that he's got to deal with. And that's really kind of the baseline idea of what happens at Kaptara. Uh, The the story itself, when you boil it down, is pretty simple when you you really look at it. Very slight, yes. it's not really about that as much as it's about the characters, the humor, and the world being built here. Um, you know, I picked this as my book of the week because I think Chip Zdarsky uh, obviously broke out doing Sex Criminals and has shown that he's a great writer um, doing Howard the Duck. And this is, you know, a, a complete brainchild of him. Uh, and I was excited to see how that translated, you know, reigns off um, onto this book. And, you know, I found it... Uh, I found it to be very funny. Uh, I had a gr- great time with it. Uh, I liked the idea that you know you have this first scene between the two these two characters and they're yelling at each other and it seems like you know kind of like jock versus nerd type of fight. But in the next scene, you find out that the guy you think is the jock is like the physicist yeah. that that is on the ship. Um, and I, I liked the fact that that he was playing against expectations all along the all along the way during the story. Um, our main character is someone who has sort of a chip on his shoulder, um, has had obviously some sort of a, a tough life, and is dealing with it by kind of running away. And he's on the this, on this ship, he's used his connections um, to get off the planet and kind of like basically go on a mission that he's not probably not going to get back from anyway because he has nothing left on Earth to kind of live for. And the idea that there's like that twinge of sadness underneath this uh, kind of font of ridiculousness that we get throughout the book... I think is a really cool thing and shows that Zdarsky has a range as a writer that I didn't really expect to be there, I think, in this book. I expected just pure silliness and pure fun, and there's a lot of that, but there's also something else happening here. And I was very, very happy uh, after finishing the book. Um, Steve, what did you think of Kaptara, number one? Um, I dug it. I, I did. I, um, I thought it was weird, and I like weird. Uh, when I first sat down with it, you know, it's funny. The I think it was the last show, last podcast, we had kind of talked about image and how it feels like every other week there's another um, like sci-fi based image book released. And so when I sat down and I saw the cover and I looked at like space exploration, I'm like, ah, here we go. Here's another one. And I was really happy to see that there's enough here 
to make it different from some of the other stuff that we've seen in the past year or so. And um, I got to say, though, like more so than than the story, because, um, I mean, the, the setup for what's happening is is pretty traditional in terms of um, like stranded in space kind of things like stranded in the unknown. Uh, the art is just wonderful, particularly the colors. Uh, there's a d- during the event that that causes them to be uh, marooned. There's some really spectacular stuff going on here, and that's um, Becca Kinsey is the uh, is the colorist for this book. But um, it's cool. It's it's weird. I like stuff where you don't really know um, what's going to happen next. You don't really know who's safe, and there appears to be like where who we're introduced to throughout the book, there are weirder people than the people uh, aboard the ship that we're going to be dealing with in the story and all kinds of alien creatures and uh, different uh, dialogues. And there's something that's said, I will not spoil it, but there's something said at the, uh, I believe on the last page that kind of makes me question uh, just how big of an event uh, Keith and his crew had experienced so um, there's definitely enough there to keep me in for a second issue. And uh, it's really been cool to see between this and Howard the Duck to see Chip Zdarsky kind of stepping out from behind the art and uh, spreading his writing muscles. And it turns out that he is, you know, uh, just really clever at, at making relatable characters in uh, kind of odd situations and uh, the humor that he lends to to the characters and, and to the stories that he's doing right now um, is kind of a, a humor that I very much identify with. So I don't know. I, I enjoyed it. I thought it was cool. I didn't real I didn't think I was gonna get into it as much as I did, but uh, upon reading it, I was pleasantly surprised. Cool. Bob, what about you? Well, I really got an interesting vibe early on. It starts with the mundane in the mm. same way that Alien did. Regular people doing stuff. And it instantly sort of twisted mm-hmm. as these characters interact in a different way than you're expecting. It's a, the, the muscle-bound iron mm-hmm. pusher who it turns out to be the, the group's physicist. We have doctors with attitude who don't quite seem like the doctors you'd expect <laughs> to see you know, at your, your local private practice. And as it goes on, you, you see the archetypal characters acting out of character. The, the story itself sort of spins off the rails into the, from their crazy sort of tubular anomaly, I guess, which is is brilliantly drawn. Mm -hmm. I mean, the art here is, it's really great spacey art, but also cartoony at the same time. It's Mm -hmm. a really interesting combination. You don't see it very much and perfect for this kind of story, which is, it is all over the place. But in a good way, it's all over the place. You don't know where you're going next, and you don't know where these characters are going to take you next. And I'm... There are people who haven't read this yet. I'm not sure we're seeing anything yet. Mm, Yeah. Because there's a moment where this could have changed everyone's perspectives. Where Keith ends up is just so bizarre. Yes. He's so (laughs) through the rabbit hole, literally, that I, who knows what's happening here, where he's rescued by Skull Thor and all these crazy (laughs) people going on. And the the second issue preview is even loonier. Uh, I hope Stephanie is, has seen the previews for giant cat tanks <laughs> oh, gosh. With, with bug eyes and, and, and lowered teeth. And uh, 
here's the thing. I I complained often about there's just way too much sci-fi. Mm-hmm. This is Red Dwarf, mm-hmm. Dark Star, you know, the, the John Carpenter, Dan O'Banner movie. It's Galaxy Quest. This is out there. If people looked at this and thought, okay, this is just another one of these sort of things, no, it's not. It is very different. It may not be able to really sustain this level of looniness without it turning into a farce. But based on this first issue and what Howard the Duck has been over the first couple, I'd be willing to take another shot at this one because space, why you got to be like that? That's exactly (laughs) the vibe through this entire book. It is just different and strange and just really to quote another sci-fi i got fascinating yeah i love um there's a character roaming around in this book that's just it's an orb that kind of has these inspirational sayings yes that form like with it within its body like follow your dreams mm-hmm. every journey begins with a single step and i don't know that struck me as both odd and hilarious uh, that that orb is going to get smashed to bits by somebody before this is over with. I can guarantee you that. I think I, I what I loved is it's a throwaway line, but that giant hideous monster with the the little feet mm. and the big feet or whatever mm. is the fuchsia beast. Yes, <laughs> What's the fuchsia beast it's that lives in the murder great. forest. Yes, the murder right. forest. It's, yeah. it's right out of Doctor Seuss. I, I love. He says, "Oh, you were in the murder forest." <laughs> like, yeah. What were you doing there? Yeah, you shouldn't be in the murder forest. Um, Mara, what did you think of it? I it wasn't what I expected, which is good because I just expected it to be funny. Mm-hmm. Um, I I think it will continue to to be kind of that sarcastic feel to it as long as Keith, the main character, retains that chip on his shoulder. Um, it's like you said, he doesn't really have much to live for it, on Earth. He's just out mm-hmm. there, just kind of a you know eh, whatever. And the fact that he introduces himself as Prince of the Dance Floor cracks me up. Just <laughs> like he's not taking anything seriously. And mm-hmm. I like that. I mean, you know, there's too many sci-fi stories out there where the characters are so, um, I guess, serious. You know, they're just taking everything like it's the end of the world. And he's like, like oh, it, it, yeah, yeah. And Keith is like, it's the end of the world. Hmm, okay. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> yeah. Not my problem. <laughs> Uh, so I, I really liked it for that. I don't know how it's going to play out month to month yet. Um, I guess we'll see. What did you think of the art, Mara? I thought it was pretty. Mm-hmm. Um, Lance is very handsome. <laughs> <laughs> and I do I do like that he called him, what was it, a Han Solo? You got that Han Solo feel? No, no, no. He's like, Lance can Han Solo the ship out of anything. Yeah. <laughs> and that, I was like, okay, okay. I'll put a tally in the pros. <laughs> <laughs> they mentioned something Star Wars. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah. Um, so, I, I, yeah, I, I, you know how Fiona Staples write or draws these beautiful alien creatures? Mm-hmm. I think that we're going to get the same kind of feel from this book, but in a different type of way. Like, the same kind of creativity and um, iconic looks. Because I can close my eyes and picture Skull Thor. Yeah, I love I love like the baseball card he has or whatever, and it's you know age unknown ruler the dark burrows the nether swamps Shawnigan's point status evil single that's like classic Chip Zdarsky stuff right there, uh, which I absolutely loved. And 
yeah, the art I didn't mention before is, is gorgeous. Um, you know, it has slightly a little more of that like mix between like that Fiona Staples type look and like that more wavy fashiony like Emma Rios yes. type of look to it as well. Mm-hmm. Somewhere in between those two things, and you know, I, I love you know because like you were saying, it inverts a lot of these sci-fi tropes, right? It starts out very much like that, that crew and they have these different roles and it's all about talking and most, like most great sci-fi movies, the big, really great ones all begin about something else other than the, the problem that they're going to face. Um, but I love that when he gets on this planet, like most of the time in these stories, he'd be like, I need to get home. I need to get back. I need to do this thing. And it's inverted here, right? They're like, Oh, we'll help you get home. And he's like, why? You know? <laughs> and, uh, and, I enjoy that about it. I enjoy the inversion and going against archetypes. Um, I will agree that it wasn't what I expected. You know, I was initially, when I first read it, taken aback that it wasn't more consistently a humor book. You know, because there's a scene where a character dies in an yeah. escape pod and it's not treated mm-hmm. as funny at all. It's treated very, it's very stark in the way that, it, that it's shown. And that was the first one where I was like, wow, like this is not just going joke a minute. You know, this isn't a duck, uh, private yeah. detective duck, right? This is this is people, and, and yeah, it's funny, but it's taking the serious stuff seriously, and the funny stuff, it's treating funny, you know? And I, I like that about it. I like that it's taking that tact. And what I do really like about it, too, is we talk about Lay's image books, and we're like, you know, I think it read better as a, as a trade. And the way this is laid out, this is actually one of those books where I feel like month to month, it's a treat because of the humor. Much like Sex Criminals, to me, it's like, Every time I read it, I know I'm getting like this little burst of humor. And yeah, there's going to be a story overlies, and I think that you can tell there's going to be an overarching story here, but it's going to be more like this check-in with, with characters that you, that you enjoy, that have drama and comedy, and it's something that I feel like is going to read very well month to month. Um, and, and, and it'll be one of those things you look forward to, like, oh, this is a good place to break up, you know, we have all this superhero action you know, and, and all this other serious action, and here in the middle, here we've got Kaptara, which is more like one of those, it's more like Edgar Wright type of situation than yeah, anything else. I think that's the perfect analogy. You know, yeah. Skullthor and his armada attacking the Earth as we strike back with cat tanks and watchful <laughs> owls and Mr. Help. Yes. <laughs> I don't know what any of that means, but I want to read that. And the, like, the guy who was in the, he was like, I don't know, like the like the first in command of this yeah. court is on the cover and he's playing like a little flute. <laughs> it's the piccolo of the death or something. Yeah. The kazoo of yeah. doom. Um, there's a lot to this book and, and the more I thought about it and the more I talked about it the more I realized how invested I was and how much I enjoyed yeah. it you so. know, I just realized I'm looking at the book now and the bed that Keith wakes up on once he's on planet the canopy like the, the roof of that bed is actually the skin of one of the alien creatures oh, wow. from the planet <laughs> oh, it's like yeah, just look. hanging there <laughs> it's pretty awesome I <laughs> Just noticed that. Oh, yeah, look at that. Look at that. As he follows the little balloon called Follow Your Dreams down the hallway. (laughs) Keith, who's the prince of the dance floor, as I recall. Yes, prince of the dance floor. (laughs) And then there's this, when the the monster first, when they land and they're walking through and, you know, they're walking through the the, the murder forest, the the, the creature pops its head out. And then the next panel, like, um, our, 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 our badass has, like, that look of, he's saying, run. And then yeah. there's just a like look of absolute <laughs> terror on Keith's face. Just this silent scream coming out of his face. And his eyes are bulging out. 
and his mouth is wide open. And He's one got of the things like I love about Tucker the thing going on right yes, there. it yes. does exactly. And one of the things I love about the art is that the, the faces are so expressive, and it really is essential for a story that's dealing with humor in this way because it's it's humor just about as much about reactions as it is about you know the the <laughs> just the, the straight up yeah. dialogue that's happening. So. It was it was a really really fun book and, and I'm looking forward to seeing what comes next out of it, um, and very excited to see kind of Zdarsky being like this rising star both writing and art. Um, our uh, our peeps on Twitter chimed in. They said uh, so. This is Maria Norris uh, says. Hope I'm not too late. Kaptara, not what I was expecting. Reads like Star Trek fanfic, which is excellent. Intrigued. <laughs> um, Repstone says getting a Barbarella feel from it. Dialogue wonderfully snarky, bitchy in places, and the art fits story like a glove. Uh, Katie Schenkel says, Kaptara number one took a long time to get the weird Zadarsky promised, but I think the last few pages are the tip of the weird iceberg. Um, Mike D says, uh, Kaptara was interesting. The alien world and creature designs are interesting, but unsure about story. I'll try number two. Chris Tull says, I like where we ended up at the end of Kaptara number one, but I was a bit underwhelmed by the issue itself. Maybe as a result of my expectations for more madcap, less subdued Zadarsky. I'll still read number two. Um, Hubert says, cover art did not do the interior art justice. McLeod's art is ridic. CZ's pop culture references blew up the world I was building. Zaptara. Um... Uh, Mark Thompson says the start of Kaptara was too close to letter 44 plus the end a bit too bizarre for me to get into which is a shame um, Tim Vargulish says backward Kaptara backwards is a rat pack coincidence I'll keep reading to hopefully find wow, out wow I just wow <laughs> 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 like the art and thought it was funny um, so who's Angie Dickinson in this, in I don't this know. scenario <laughs> yeah, that's where are we going over this so yeah so that's Kaptara number one Premier's right, comics, okay. uh, good start. Uh, yes, I'm. I think it would be Stephanie's turn to assign, but she is not here. <laughs> we can tweet her. We can. We'll, we'll, we're not. Because we'll, we'll, we'll she will be back. We don't want to. We did yeah. we skip her the last time. We skipped her the last time. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we're gonna have to uh, go out to her and t- and we'll tweet it out on the t- uh, on Twitter. But what it is, and put it on Facebook and on the forums. It's up what we pick. Um, It'll be something she picked up at the show. Yeah. That can't be gotten yes. on Earth except if you were at C2E2. Next week is uh, an incredibly crazy week. We have Avengers to talk about. We have all this Batman stuff and in multiversity and crazy stuff happening. The end of Fantastic Four. It's a crazy week. So, got a lot of stuff to talk about. I'm, I'm anxious to see what Stephanie picks out. Um, the last thing I want to talk about very quickly, and I don't want to spend too much time on it because it's just a picture. <laughs> It's uh, the go. picture. It's the picture. It is the picture, but apparently there are some that like that that the uh, the image is not exactly representative of what he's going to look like in the movie. Um, because there's okay. been screenshot. There's been uh, set photos that come out, and he has no tattoos in the set photos. Oh, um, at least like on his top of his body. Um, so no. So the, the Jared Leto, David Ayer released on Twitter a picture of Jared Leto um, as the Joker, and the internet exploded. Um, as it's want to do. So um, I just want to really quickly talk about this. I don't want to spend too much time on it because there, I don't want to spend more time talking about a picture than we talk about the movie. So, um, uh, Steve, what did you think of the Jared Little Joker picture? Um, okay. I, I, I wrote myself a couple of notes here. Um, I'll try to be as brief as possible. When I first saw it, I really didn't know what to think. Um, I kind of thought that somebody was sending me a joke because it was um, it was tweeted to me, and they said check this out. 
and it looked like it, like Ed Hardy was partnering with Manic Panic to develop some kind of like Joker inspired um, hair dye. But anyway, <laughs> uh, well, that's wow. what I thought. Honestly, um, that's here's, great. Here's the thing: I don't. I'm very confused about whether or not this is going to be his real look or not. I don't understand why the photo was released. I under, like it was an anniversary, but nothing was said about it being just a special photo and not the, it was presented as like the final product or at least his look for the movie. And now we have people refuting that and saying that it's not. So I don't really know how much I care about the photo, but honestly, I don't have too much of a problem with it. I think some of the design choices for the the tattoos are a little strange, um, particularly what the damaged tattoo on the forehead would indicate, um, which something like that would say that something's happened to the Joker in the past that maybe we should be empathetic towards that they're, they might spin. And I don't know necessarily that we need that for him. Um, but I'll, I will say this. Later on in the evening, after seeing like the full-blown tatted Joker and thinking that it was kind of ridiculous and really over the top, I saw a photoshopped version of that same photo with all of the tattoos removed, and it was really quite boring. So to like it had like you know no tattoos, and it actually had the Jack Nicholson style um, mouth and smile on it. And the, the caption for the Photoshop photo was, look, go, you know, you're welcome. I fixed the Joker. And upon looking at it, I'm like, I kind of dig the other one better. I mean, you got to figure they only, they can only go up from Heath Ledger's Joker, which everybody freaked out about when that photo was released as well. Um, I don't know. I mean, how do you, how do you not go extreme with it? If if Suicide Squad is supposed to be this like tremendous star-studded blockbuster, I don't see how you couldn't go like obnoxious and ridiculous with the look of the Joker. Um, it, to me, it seems to fit what what that movie is going to be about. And uh, until I see it in action, I'm really trying not to pass too much judgment on it. Yeah, I got that. Um, Mara, what about you? I don't know. I, I don't. I'm not interested in the Suicide Squad movie. I guess I should just put that out there. It's not on my radar at all. I honestly forgot about it entirely until this image was released. Well, Mara, we do know that you are really up on movies. And yeah, you know a ton about them. So <laughs> surprise. <laughs> um, I I feel like the image release was kind of a um, like an audience test. Like, you know what? What did people think about him with tattoos? <laughs> right. Well, let's let's try this. Yeah. So that, you know, release it and then internet outrage and like, oh, never mind, never mind. Mm-hmm. That's just a whatever, whatever it is. Um, I don't know. I I I feel like we've seen deranged Joker a lot. We've seen him where he stands out from the crowd to the extreme. I think it would be an interesting take to see him blend in where you don't know, you can't spot him easily. You don't know you're talking to someone who's mentally unstable in that way. But, you know, that's that's not a, the Joker story, though. Mm-hmm. So, um, I think the image is a little ridiculous. Uh, it, I don't know, kind of like, reminds me of like a skater boy or something. Right. I'm, I'm I think not, that was the general problem yeah. that people had with it. Yeah, I'm, I don't know. I'm yeah, not afraid of it. Inspired. 
Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm, yeah. I'm not afraid of it. I'm not, you know. <laughs> I'll tell you this, though. I saw so many good memes like with the hours that were following that i saw one that was uh an old nintendo game boy ad and yes. it was for game boy color with all the different game boys floating around and he's like grabbing his head freaking out about him like oh there's too many colors <laughs> do you ever come back and watch those <laughs> Bobby's ads just showing it to me oh, yeah, mara so sent good. it to me actually yeah. just a couple minutes ago um bob what did you think of it well I agree with Mara. I think this is a trial balloon. Mm. Let's throw some stuff out there and see what happens, see how many people we can get aggravated, loving, whatever. Though I think they probably made their choices already. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Tattooing damage across your forehead seems a little on the nose to me. Why don't you tell bad guy? Yeah. yeah. So it's just just kind of dopey. As to the rest of them, look, he's going to be wearing a suit, the purple Mm. suit. He's not running around like Tarzan, so we're not going to see those anyway. Yeah. Uh, It's going to be about can he act like the Joker? And the hair, the makeup, in terms of the face, yeah. as long as he's not tattooed on his head, yeah, he kind of looks like the Joker. I know people have, have said, well, what's with the rapper Grill he's got going on? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, could he be referencing that Birds of Prey issue, number 124, where Barbara literally knocks a smile off his <laughs> face? Because you got to remember, Oracle is introduced in Suicide Squad. Yeah. So could this be part and parcel of mm-hmm. something larger? I, I'd like to think so. I mean, he's in the Suicide Squad, he's already in jail, right? That's the way right. that he's kind of like a Hannibal Lecter type of character. So whether it's Oracle or it's Batman who punched his teeth out, yeah. I, I assume that it's going to be something to that nature. Yeah. So I think mm-hmm. that's a real nice little nod to history. Yeah. Um, I'm, oh, I'm interested ahead, in seeing where this goes. It could be really interesting. I think they've chosen a really good actor. Yes, and that's the and thing that's about that's what yeah. I got to hope for. Here. Yeah. I mean, the thing for me is the only thing that bothers me really, I mean, the tattoos I don't love, whatever. Um, the damage thing is the only thing that bothers me really in any sort of real way because it just seems too, it just seems too, I don't know, emo for the Joker yeah. to do. You know, unless it's like a completely like ironic thing, you know, but I, I that's the only thing that really bothers me at the look. I mean, I, it's not what I would have expected, but we've already seen several on-screen jokers already. You can't just do the same look that the other ones have done. They want to, they want to show themselves as different and he's a great actor. So if he can give a performance, that's fantastic. Then I'm okay. I'm I'm really, really okay with with, with what it's going to be. I hope that it's a a more toned down look, but if it's not, then you know what? It's just one look. And I've, there's been plenty of times in plenty of superhero movies, including ones that I love that I have not been psyched about the way certain heroes look certain heroes, certain villains. So I can deal with it. You know, it's, it's just one of those things. Mm-hmm. Um, but. Um, you could take this with a, with a grain of salt, but I was actually talking to uh, my boss over at uh, joblo.com and we were actually discussing suicide squad. And he was saying, um, like I said, take this for what you will, but um, they're looking to make suicide squad a really, really big movie. Um, pretty much one that sets up much of the, uh, DC universe, like their film verse going forward. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's going to be a very um, much like an all inclusive kind of film. So the cast of the, of the suicide squad might not be all that we see uh, in that movie. Yeah, and we've heard rumors ba- about Bruce Batman's going to be in it, so and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, if you're going to cast those kind of people in the movie, you're looking to make it a huge movie. So yeah. we'll see what happens going forward. But you know, I don't, I don't think it's worth to talk, getting too much into because it's it's just one picture. But uh, it certainly was an interesting uh, few hours after it got released. <laughs> um, and uh, 
we are we're running a little long, so we're going to skip uh, kind of what we're excited for coming out this week. Uh, you heard some of them already, uh, and we'll be back next week. We have a ton of stuff to talk about. But if you guys want to follow us on Twitter, we're at Talking Comics on Twitter, Facebook.com slash Talking Comics, and TalkingComicBooks.com is the website where you can find reviews, articles, and our bevy, bevy, bevy. Of, po- of podcasts, <laughs> uh, The Misfits with yeah. Mara Wood, <laughs> Melissa Megan, and Stephanie Cook. Uh, Mara told you in detail about what you guys have been doing. What are you guys doing uh, coming up? Well, you just released a show, right? Yes. We had our, our book club episode just came out, and our next episode is the last Star Wars event podcast. Okay. Where we'll be talking about expanded universe, including Star Wars comics from Dark Horse and Marvel. Awesome. And the holiday special. Awesome. Oh, <laughs> I'm there. Um, we also have Talking Movies, Brian Verderosa, Chris Oliphant, and uh, Nick Scalia. And they are they are doing their uh, post-apocalyptic movies right now leading up to Mad Max. Um, and they just did Night of the Comet. Uh, so check that out. Um as well. By the way, I saw the Mad Max trailer for mm-hmm. the new. Yeah, that looks amazing. It looks amazing. Right? I can't oh, wait yeah. to uh, see this movie. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, Talking Valley with Adam Shaw. Um, we've got uh, Talking Games. Steve Say, Justin Townsend, Rob Newmeyer, and Jackie Turner mm-hmm. um, for you guys. Um, lots of games to talk about, Steve. Uh, yeah, I will not be on the show. Um, I'll be celebrating my girlfriend's birthday, but nice. uh, Jackie, Justin, and Rob will be back. And the week that I come back. I will be ranting and raving about a game called Crypt of the Necrodancer. Cool. It is fantastic. Awesome. Um, Happy birthday to Bronwyn. Yes. Thank you very much. And, of uh, of course, we have our special edition feed, which has backup stories and comics and coffee on it. Comics Coffee will return this week live at 9 a.m. on YouTube and TalkingComicBooks.com. Bob, I know you had something that you wanted to say. Yeah. Um... It's it's a very personal thing, but let me just say that in this last week, it was last Thursday, that due to our little program here, I reconnected with my goddaughter, who I haven't seen in 10 years, who found me through our little exercise here. So if Casey is listening, thank you very much, and we spent a lovely evening together rehashing fun and yet emotional stories and i'm still kind of hung over from that not in the <laughs> alcoholic way but just the life kind of way so oh, bob that's wonderful yeah that's a that's a wonderful story um and a great way to to end the show so um for bob uh good night casey uh steve <laughs> avengers mara bye <laughs> i have been bobby until next time on talking comics to be continued